Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Think aren't even close to where they're capable of. In the opinion of quarterback Drew Brees, he also said they need to be more efficient. Those comments by the 41-year-old after the loss to the Raiders aren't wrong, says ESPN NFL analyst Greg McElroy. When you watch Brees, there are throws he's missing that he has never missed at any point in his career. He looks a little bit out of sync. Clearly, the separation with the wide receivers hasn't been consistent the way we've seen in years past. And it's something they absolutely have to get sorted out because for as good as Brees and Kamara can be, it won't matter if they're completely off, off schedule offensively. Greg McElroy with Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Zubin Mahenti. Lakers and Nuggets return to the floor for Game 3 of the NBA's West Finals tonight. LA's got a 2-0 series lead, has won six straight, 10-2 overall this postseason. Coverage 8.30 Eastern, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Coming up Wednesday, the Lakers look to get even closer to another championship as the Nuggets just really want to get back into the series. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, Wednesday, 6 Eastern, ESPN Radio, ESPN News. Live here on ESPN Dayton. And I expected some hiccups yesterday being back after a week off, but not on a Tuesday. Humble. <laughs> Humble pie. I don't know about that. What'd you say? Humble pie? Humble pie. It's a fumble pie, maybe. Uh-oh. It happens. I ain't humble. We know that. Nothing to be humble about. I'm the greatest man in the history of the world. No one's better than me. Nah. If only that were true. All right, everybody. Welcome in. Happy Tuesday. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station 1410. Wing AM. we got a loaded show coming up for you today. The Cincinnati Reds, if the playoffs started today, they're not only in the last playoff spot. They're the second to last playoff spot. They are rolling right now. They've won nine of their, they've won eight of their last nine, I'm sorry. And for the first time in over a thousand days, they are above 500. Now, that doesn't count. I mean, there's been multiple times where they've won on opening day. Actually, they've won a lot of opening day games, especially during the stretch that they've been rebuilding. It's kind of funny how that's worked. They've always you know, they've had a lot of success on opening day, uh, but none after that. But uh, the Cincinnati Reds uh, are rolling right now. And for the first time since May of 2017, the Reds are above 500 and are, lock- and are locking in on securing a playoff spot. I mean, right now, it's not that they're a couple games out. They are a couple games up, and that's all that matters. I shouldn't say a couple games out, but they're about a half game up. I mean, they're... they're- Unless they just pee down the leg coming up this week. They're in the playoffs. They're in the playoffs. And uh, this is going to be an exciting time for your Cincinnati Reds. Absolutely, man. It's good to see them on the brink of making the playoffs. And we're going to have a lot of playoff baseball here on the radio for you guys. And we're definitely going to be tuned in. And uh, my Cleveland Indians are also looking to lock down their playoff spot as well. You know, we're going to talk about uh, right now if the playoffs started today, who the Reds would be matched up with. Um, right now, two interesting teams that the Reds could be squaring off with right away. I mean, a, less than a week from now um, when the wild card round gets going. All right, we're going to talk about the injuries uh, surrounding the National Football League like we did yesterday a little bit and dive more into that. We're going to get into some Browns-Bengals discussion. Ohio State, the Big Ten, we now know that they will officially kick off in October. We're a month away from that. But what happens between now and then? I'm still curious how the college 
college football playoff polls are going to look, uh, you know, setting up and gearing up for that. We're going to get into that discussion coming up here around the corner. But um, we're going to be joined later on in the show every Tuesday moving forward. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz will join us every Tuesday at 430. We'll talk NFL. We'll talk college football. You can hear Jason Fitz weekdays right here on ESPN Radio from 4 to 6 p.m. or from 7 to 9 p.m. I'm sorry. 7 to 9 p.m. You can hear uh, Jason Fitz and Sarah Spain. Spain and Fitz, 7 to 9 p.m. weekday evenings uh, right here on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz going to hang out with us every Tuesday at 4.30 as we talk about some of the biggest college football and NFL games. He's a big Raiders fan, and his Raiders got a big Monday night football win last night. Drew Brees, now you start to see why that mofo was on the verge of retiring. Put it that way. Absolutely. Uh, It's looking like Drew Brees is playing how he plays at the end of the season as opposed to how he plays at the beginning of the season. So that's going to be key. And it's funny, too, because you had that big week one matchup. You had Drew Brees versus Tom Brady. You had the Bucks versus the Saints. And, you know, the Saints looked really good against the Bucks. They come out on top, and then they just laid an egg last night. But uh, the Raiders, you know, that new home stadium, you got, you know, Gruden. Uh, Carr looked, you know, much different last night than what we've seen. A lot of the short game. I mean, he's not going to be an aired out type of guy. Right. But, hey, you, you could win that way. It's not impossible to win that way. I just think the Raiders still have too many holes. But uh, that was a big win for them last night, a good way to set the tone here early in the season. You know, uh, one of my best friends is a Raiders fan, and my aunt is a huge Raiders fan. So throughout the game, they're blowing up my phone all night long and say, see, Derek Carr still got it. He still got it. Chucky still got it. And, you know, it was, it was pretty cool to see them get a big victory on Monday Night Football. You know, they, they create matchup problems. That's what – Gruden does. He finds the matchup problems. You know, everybody has him famous for that. Why two banana play and everything like that from back in the day. But, you know, they run that play like at least two or three times a drive if they got things clicking. And it's pretty pretty much unstoppable because you have to cover the long guy, the middle guy, and the short guy. Somebody's going to be open every single time, man. So it's up to the quarterback to hit it, and Gruden's doing a great job, but more importantly, the players are doing a great job. They got matchup problems with the tight end. Weller out there, a former uh, basically walk-on in college and a, a training camp body back in the day, and now he's balling in the NFL. It's cool to see. Ron, uh, of course, is a big Buccaneers fan. He says, it's funny how Brady has dogged in his first game, but Brees has struggled two weeks in a row. Uh, look, well, Ron, that's part of the overreaction, you know, overreaction Monday. That's what always happens on the Monday. The, the, you know, the Monday right after NFL Sunday, everyone is, you know, we, we, we basically hand Super Bowl trophies to teams every Monday. And we also try to kick teams literally out of the league every Monday as well. Uh, we overreact every week. Uh, the Buccaneers will be fine. Tom Brady spent his entire career with one team. First game two weeks ago with his new team. I ain't worried about Tom Brady. Drew Brees might be something to look at there. Last night was pretty cool, though. You got to see uh, the, the Saints' um, uh, Twitter account shared a video of Adam Troutman's first catch, Dayton Flyer. We've had him on the show uh, throughout the offseason. I know he joined the show right after he was drafted, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And getting to see him be a part of that offense last night, I mean, it was a pretty cool catch. Look, is you know, not tearing it up, but, I mean, just to see the kid that was just a year ago playing here at Welcome Stadium and now all of a sudden is uh, playing with the Saints, playing with Drew Brees, a force, you know, Basically, Locke is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Good for him. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on uh, Adam Troutman, former Dayton Flyer, moving forward. But let's talk a little Cincinnati Reds. Doug Morgan on Facebook as well says it's pretty cool actually watching some meaningful Reds baseball. Uh, I agree uh, completely. I mean, this has been kind of strange as we talked about it. And again, Doug Morgan, uh, that's, that was his comments from Facebook, by the way. You can tune into the show on Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show on Facebook. Give the show a follow, a like, and hang out with us weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 p.m. 
Reds win last night, and the Reds have won eight of their last nine. And I found this interesting that when you look at how you know the Reds have been rebuilding for a while, the Reds went all in. The Reds went all in in the offseason. Now I don't mean all in as in put a World Series caliber or a World Series team out on the field, but maybe because the one common thing that always happens come playoff time for baseball is it's a lot of times you can look at teams that are loaded as far as offense is concerned, but more times than not, it is going to be the pitching that gets the job done. You look at the Washington Nationals last year, the Washington Nationals. They lose Bryce Harper from the season before that, and think about any other uh, think about any other season, any other sport, where if you lose your best player, there's no chance in hell you're considered a title team the next season. Right. You go into the NBA, take LeBron James off any team, you take Kevin Durant off any team. There's no way those teams are championship favorites heading into the next season without their best player. But that's what happened with the Nationals. They lost their best player, and they won a World Series the next year. Now. Washington's really good when they hit, when their pitching is healthy. Now, they won because of pitching, and that's what the Cincinnati Reds are doing right now. That's the one thing we've been very critical of because we knew that the strength for the Reds was going to be their pitching coming into the season, and basically the bullpen was, was garbage to start. Um, they, you know, they were really struggling, and then once the bullpen started to get going, then the rotation started kind of taking some lumps along the way. By the way, just found out Sonny Gray, you know, obviously – you know, back off the IL, so that's big for the Reds, who, of course, they're going to have their big hitters uh, for this week, kind of closing out the regular season, hopefully securing their spot in the playoff. But a lot has changed. The Reds are hitting the ball now. They're scoring runs. Um, and they're really not putting a lot of – their bullpen is not being put in a lot of high-leverage situations, which is something the bullpen struggled with early in the season. Now, could that be something that, th- that haunts this team come playoff time? Absolutely. But you know what? They'd be in the playoff. Right. That's all that matters as far as that's concerned, is getting into the playoff. Now, keep in mind, as far as the Reds' success against teams above 500 this year, on the season, they are 11-16 and 16 against teams with a record above 500. Um, again, those numbers, I'm not too, I don't put too much stock into those because right now, it's all just about how are you playing now. Um, that's why I'm not a big fan of when people like to use the advanced analytics and trying to use that to tell a story. I think that should play a role in the story, but that should not be the story, mainly because... The team is different from week to week, day to day. You know, players. certain players are rolling. Certain players are pitching better. Some are pitching bad. Some are hitting bad. Some are hitting real well. And that's the thing that, you know, with baseball drives me nuts is a lot of the stat nerds like to try to use the numbers, uh, in a, especially in a 162-game season. Oh, no, he's been hitting this all, you know, all season. Yeah, well, for the last six games, he's been hitting well above 400. He's, you know, hitting real well right now. Ride him while he's hot. That's always my mentality in baseball is ride it while it's hot because, again, if you try to write a story with numbers throughout a 162 seven-month season, it, it becomes a little difficult. Now, that's the history of baseball. It's always been done that way, and it always will, and I completely get that. But this is a situation where when you look at the numbers for the Reds, They've been outscored all season. Right? They, their opponents have more runs than they've scored runs. Uh, the offense has been abysmal more times than not. But right now, when you look at this nine-game stretch, they've won eight of their last nine. They've scored a ton of runs. This is a team right now that is playing their best baseball, and that's all you can ask for. David Bell, I don't know how much of this changed my, changes my opinion to David Bell, but all I asked about David Bell was I wanted to see the team respond to him. Because that was my biggest thing, not just in baseball, but in any sport out there, is can your manager, can your coach, can your leader get you to respond? It doesn't mean that it always has to result in a win, even though that's what we're ultimately expecting. But the Reds looked flat at times. They looked like they didn't care. The team just was, I mean, there was more attention being given to what cleats Trevor Bauer was wearing as opposed to what the result of the team, uh, what the result was for the team that night. That stuff drives me up the wall. But when you win, especially in this time of the year, 
Like, it's not like the Reds were buried and they just started winning meaningless games. They're winning meaningful games, and they're doing it against good teams. Now, they swept the Pirates, but playoff teams, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bury your bad opponents. And then you play the White Sox, best record in the American League, and they... You know, won the series against the White Sox. So they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're beating the bad teams. They're winning series against good teams. And they're off to a good start last night against the Brewers. Game two coming up later on tonight. And you'll get to see, or you'll get to listen to the Reds and Brewers. Game two, 640, the first pitch. 610 will be the pregame. Uh, let's go to the Facebook feed. Uh, Travco says, I love that they are rolling, but having runners on second and third with no outs and not finding a way to score is going to come back and bite them eventually, especially when the third baseman is 50 feet off the bag. Just bunts, please. Uh, Travis, I could not agree with you more on that, especially last night. You know, obviously Gino's home run ended up, not, I, I hate to use, I'm not going to use the phrase bailing him out, but Gino's home run opened up the game um, and that gave them some breathing room. And then Casale, of course, hits another one late to kind of give them some more breathing room. That's all you can ask for, but you're right, especially early on in that ball game, the fifth, sixth inning, they had so many runners left in, on base, and not just on base, but in scoring position. And everything is a home run or not. I mean, the Reds are, if you can basically take one player to compare the Cincinnati Reds to, it's Adam Dunn, because it's either home run or nothing. There is no in-between. And that was the beauty of Adam Dunn's game, right? It was just a home run or a strikeout. There was no in-between. That's, that's Reds baseball. That's Reds baseball. And and the Reds fans, there's a certain pocket of Reds fans on social media that absolutely love that stuff. I mean, last night when the Reds hit two home runs and took the lead, you had a lot of Reds fans on Twitter saying, oh, I guess it's not that big a deal if the Reds only hit home runs. And I mean, no, you want to score, you want to hit home runs, yes. But you got to find other ways to score yeah. because you're not going to beat the Dodgers. You're not going to beat the Cubs in the, in the first round of the playoffs if you're only trying to hit home runs because guess what? The pitching for the Cubs and especially for the Dodgers, top-notch. If you're going to rely on having to hit four to five home runs to beat the Dodgers every game, you are not going to do it. Uh, David Shaw says, if Adam Dunn baseball was beautiful to each their own, I don't think I said his game was beautiful. Mm-mm. I said it was either home run or strikeout. There was no all in between. Nothing. It was all or nothing. Uh, Shaw, uh, I don't know what you thought you heard, or maybe you just mistyped that. I'm not really sure. I never said his game was beautiful. I just said, hey, I'm comparing the Reds' offensive attack to Adam Dunn, saying, hey, it was home run or nothing. But Travco, I agree with you. Travco's also the one that told me to stay in Florida because the Reds were 6-0 and at a certain point uh, during the stretch I had left. But they're 2-0 and since I got back because they won Sunday and they won yesterday. So we're off to a good start. So when did you see my tweet that I sent you? Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see. It was before or after the hurricane was rattling the building that we were in. Let me go back. When did you send that? I sent that, I want to say, on game five that they won because I actually watched that game because I, I uh, heard the game on the radio when I was ripping and running one day and oh, I raised it another one. I was like, was that four? Another one. Another one. Another so one. I made it a point to check them out. And I uh, saw that they won their fifth game. So I was like, yeah, Kenner's down there in Florida having a good time. And let me send him a tweet. Hey, look, people and people think I hate the Reds. Like that's the thing. So I got a lot of tweets about the Reds while I was gone, and a lot of them were, "Oh, you're awfully silent." Well, hold on, I'm trying to survive a hurricane. I'll get to my Reds takes coming up here shortly. Just give me some time. Um, and no, I'm not. I don't hate David Bell. What I was frustrated with David Bell over was the fact that they were losing. I love when people do that. By the way. Like, you win, by the way, so let's see, he was the manager for 162 games, (laughs) we're at 56, so David Bell has been the manager for 200 plus games for this Reds team, and within those 200 games for David Bell as manager of this Reds team, this is the best nine game stretch throughout that. Now, you could find long winning streaks and all that, but this has been the most meaningful pocket of games in in the managerial career of David Bell. 
because these games, it's not just winning, it's the timing of the wins, and not just, you know, winning, but, uh, you know, unbearing yourself out of the bottom cellar of the, of the division. Again, the Pirates, worst team in that division, they're second to last, the Reds are, or the were. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, they're fighting the Cardinals and battling it out for the two spot. But for those of you watching live on Facebook and listening in, don't worry, we'll uh, make sure that we, you know, walk through the standings here. Take a look. Here are the Major League Baseball standings right now for both the American League and the National League. The Cincinnati Reds, again, there's eight spots to get into the playoffs. The Reds right now are holding on to that seventh spot. They moved up a game last night. For the first time since 2017, the Reds are one game above 500. The la- I mean, do you know the last time they were above 500, Kev? It was 1,226 days ago. Need to play that at the lotto. 1,226 days it has been since the Reds were a game above or just above 500 at all. Uh, and again, the last date that they were above, May 14th, 2017. It's a long time ago. That was a long time ago. And again, that was only May. So, you know, we're talking September. I would love to find out the last time that they were, you know, above 500 this at this point of the season. Uh, but, you know, our, our stats team here, it's, we have a small stats team. I mean, it's me and you. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. I'll make sure I put in a request as far as that goes. But look at the Reds at 28 and 27. Look how tight this is, okay? The, the, you, have the, you have the Marlins. So the, the Padres, 34 and 20. They're the, they have the four seed right now. They're, they're not moving. They're staying put. I mean, they might kind of flip-flop with Atlanta. Uh, they might flip-flop with the Cubs. I mean, it's basically two through four battling it out for seeding as far as that goes. But then you have five through eight all battling it out for seeding. And not just five through eight, you also have two teams on the outside of that. So you're coming down to six, seven teams battling it out for the final four spots in the Major League Baseball playoffs. This is going to be a fun week, a final stretch of baseball. But right now the Reds at 28-27, you know, basically a half game above the Cardinals. I mean, they're going to be fighting it out for them to get that second spot within the NL Central. So they're not just fighting for a wild card. They're trying to get there to that second spot in the Central as far as that's concerned. The Reds could probably finish as far as, as high as five as far as the seeding is concerned. Now, if you're watching on uh, Facebook as well, Take a look. If the playoffs started today, here's how the playoffs would shake out as far as the first round or the wild card matchups. Uh, you know, the National League wild card series. So last night, if the playoffs had started, the Reds would have been the eight seed going up against the one seed Dodgers. Reds, Dodgers, I don't like that matchup. Now, let's be clear anyone that ever gets eight seed in the history of any playoffs, it's usually not a good matchup. You're right. not, you know, you're getting the number one seed. But right now, with the Reds being that two seed, you they feel that get, way even in baseball. Uh,. For the Reds right now, just because of their struggles, yes. Uh, but no, baseball is probably the easiest that you can probably get a one versus eight. Again, this is the first time we've had this many teams make the playoffs, as far as that's concerned. And when you have less teams, uh, for instance, like the Cardinals, if they were the sixth team to get into the playoff, if you didn't have this expansion right here, the Cardinals' chances of beating the Dodgers, it's no surprise at all if they beat the Dodgers. But because you've expanded it out, like that's the thing, too. The Reds, are gonna, they good chance they make the playoffs. But I'm still not happy with how they've performed because they've left a lot of wins on the table that we really shouldn't even be holding our breath in the final week of the season as far as making the playoffs is concerned. But if the playoffs started today, the Reds would have the Cubs in the division and in the, in the wild card series. Again, the playoffs start coming up this weekend. So the question is, is if you finish at seven or eight, Dodgers or Cubs, who do you want? Obviously, the Dodgers, the best team in baseball. But the Cubs have also had the Reds number as well. So that's kind of the interesting conversation to have there. Clearly, I would want the Cubs, but the reason people would say, well, I don't want to say clearly I'd want the Cubs. I'd still be weary about the Cubs because regardless of whether the Dodgers are better than the Cubs or not, the Cubs are still that divisional bully, Mm -hmm. that intimidation factor. I I, I 
think the Reds would be more intimidated by the Cubs in the playoffs because it's the Cubs really? more so than the Dodgers. I think it would be the opposite. I would think they would have more familiarity with the team. It's a team that you play all the time. Uh, you are probably more comfortable playing them. It's not like I, I would view it as it's not a big deal to them playing them. I will want to play the Cubs if I'm a Reds fan. Yeah, and then seeing the Reds on the season again, the Cubs have had their way with the Reds throughout the season. The Reds have been able to sneak a couple wins in here and there against the Cubs, but ultimately the Cubs are just like that. that you know, when we talk about, and I'm not comparing this Cubs-Reds thing to Ohio State-Michigan, but I do believe it also gets in the head of Michigan, that team, because it is Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And Michigan always feels like they have a good team, and more times than not, they really do. But I do think there's a mental block. Like the, I mean, the last couple seasons, Michigan has had some of the best defenses in college football, and yet it's like that that top defense always seems to disappear going up against. And, and you could say, oh, well, that's just how good Ohio State's offense is. Yes, but at the same time, there's just something about that matchup where Michigan just comes and they become a completely different team. I see a lot of that when the Reds go up against the Cubs. It's that intimidation factor. The Reds are the new kids on the block. They've just emerged as a playoff contender, and the Cubs, they've been doing this a while, going back to when they won the World Series quite a few years ago. They've been doing this a while. You're Indians, of course, know, mm-hmm. know this. Uh, but again, thanks, it's just the, the Cubs just have this aura about them that I don't even think it's just about the Reds versus the Cubs. I think the Cubs possess that going up against most teams that they go up against right now. And by the way, it's because that pitching. Pitching is key, but the bullpen for the Cubs is one of the best bullpens in baseball. I just don't see it that way. Maybe because I, I don't watch a lot of National League baseball. When I think of auras about a team, when I think, all right, man, this team just has our number because they're this team. It's always been the Yankees. It's always been the Red Sox for the last, like, 15 years. So I, I just don't view the Cubs in that manner. Um, I, I would almost... Look at the Dodgers as a team. They're both beatable, personally. I think the Reds can beat both teams in a series, especially the Dodgers because of the ton of pressure that's on the Dodgers year in and year out to produce a world championship. They spend a ton of money. So they're under pressure all the time. Now, you could look at it when the Reds go into this as, all right, uh, we're happy to be here, or we got free money. This is a free season. We got a bonus play. But them, the Dodgers, they're supposed to be here. They're supposed to be making a run at it and play free and have some fun and maybe we, maybe win those series. Yeah, too. And by the way, the Reds lineup has just been released. We'll talk about that lineup coming up here. I'll, I'll reveal that coming up here momentarily around the corner. But I'm glad you brought that up because the expectations for the Reds coming into this season, I had them winning 40-plus games. Oh, yeah, you did. I had them winning 40-plus games. Right now, uh, I mean, when you look at their record, they've only, they're sitting at 27 wins on the season. So it's just one of those things where, again, with about six games remaining in the regular season, they're going to get to that 30-plus win. That's what Vegas had them at, you know, coming into the 60-game shortened season to begin with. Uh, but, again, they had them at about 32 wins on the season. I think they're going to probably fall just short of that, depending on, you know, what's coming up. They do have the Twins coming up after this series. Uh, with the Brewers, but this team should have had playoff expectations. The reason I've been so hard on this team this year is because of the fact that this is no longer a rebuilding team. Like, you know, you could make excuses in years past when they're rebuilding and when they're retooling and they're trying to develop some younger talent, and you could admit that maybe they've been doing some of that this year. I mean, when they go out and they're bringing up some of the younger guys and trying to see what they have. I mean, Shogo Akiyama's not a young guy, but he's a new guy as far as uh, not just new to the Reds, but new to the league in general. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. So it's going to be interesting. But to me, the Reds, they're, they're no longer a rebuilding team. 
they were expected to win. The reason they were expected to win is because, well, look at all the money they spent. You don't go spend mm -hmm. a lot of money just to hopefully make the playoffs. Right. You go spend a lot of money to make the playoffs. And that's what the Reds did. They brought in Mike Moustakis. They bring in Castellanos. They made the big trade at the deadline last year to be able to acquire Trevor Bauer from the Indians. Uh, they made the big trade uh, to sign and trade you know, at the beginning of last season to be able to get Sonny Gray from the Yankees. So the Reds have been doing, they've been maneuvering themselves for a while, trying to be able to get the right pitching. And to be honest, the main reason that they've been able to maneuver themselves into getting this done is because of the play of Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo, after his performance last night, he's 4-0 in the month of September. Listen to this. He's 4-0 in the month of September. He has an ERA at 1.26. He has 33 strikeouts, and all opponents are hitting 163 against him. I mean, if, if the Reds' opponents were a baseball player, David Bell would bat him first. I mean, that's how good uh, teams are against the Reds right now. When it comes to that, but four five seven nine four six four Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on fourteen ten ESPN Radio. We are Dayton's home of the Reds, and you can catch Reds and Brewers game two coming up here later tonight. Six ten will be the pregame. Six forty will be the first pitch. All right, We've got a lot still more to get into real quick. Let's go uh, back to the Facebook feed. David says Cardinals and Cubs have the Reds number going all the way back to when I was in high school. <laughs> David says that was back in two thousand. Mm. So there's that. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. All right, everybody, we are back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on a Tuesday. I hope everyone's had a great day. Lots to still get into. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. He's going to be calling into the show coming up here in hour number two, 430. We'll talk with Jason regarding all the big topics, uh, all the big headlines, I'm sorry, surrounding college football and the NFL. Of course, you can catch Jason Fitz weekday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on Spain and Fitz. Immediately following our show, and immediately following our show, coming up later on tonight, you will hear the Reds game two against the Brewers. The Reds right now, if the playoffs started today, are in the playoffs. Last night, of course, they were sitting in that eighth spot with the win over the Brewers. They moved themselves into, they have the fourth easiest uh, opponent win percentage moving forward, uh, and the Brewers have the sixth. So the Reds are in position now. I mean, they, they have the easiest, um, is yeah, outside in, in the National League, they have the easiest remaining schedule to close out the final week of the regular season. I agree with you um, for the most part. Um, good teams take care of the business they're supposed to take care of. You know, uh, you talked about them sweeping the Pirates and everything like that. But there's been series this year that they played the Pirates, that they have dropped games to the Pirates and everything like that. So you you got to take care of business when you're supposed to. But the flip side of that is you just don't know about a team's, quote unquote, strength of schedule until the games are played. No one expected, at least I, I can put my hand in there, I didn't expect the Twins to be as good as they were. You're a little more tapped into baseball than I am. I just didn't expect the Twins to be as good as they were. I was just taking it for granted that uh, they were going to be a blah team. But they're not. They're good. So we just don't know until the season play. We talk about Notre Dame football all the time. You know, we talk about the matchups that they have. They talk about, all right, they play the Michigans. They play the USC's and everything like that. So going into the season, we're enamored at their schedule. But then by the end of the season, oh, them teams wasn't no good. We don't know if people are good until the season plays out. No, that's true. And right now, the Reds, regardless, again, the two teams that they're most likely to be to be matched up against, the Dodgers, 
and the Cubs. And, uh, I mean, right now, if, so if you look at how this would shape out, I mean, uh, the Reds would go up against the Cubs in the, in the in the wild card round, and then you'd go on to face the winner between the Braves and the Cardinals. Look, the Reds could inch themselves all the way up to the six or five. Um, right now, we're just happy that they're even in the mix. I mean, I, as long as I've been working here, I have yet to be able to host a show here while the Reds, while we're talking about the Reds in the playoffs, and I think that's pretty exciting as far as that goes. We'll get into some more Reds talk coming what up. Who do you want on the play? Uh, I'm in between. The Dodgers is who I would prefer. I don't think the Reds are intimidated by the Dodgers. I think they are intimidated by the Cubs. The Cubs aren't as good as the Dodgers, so it's easy to say, oh, I'd rather the Reds play the Cubs because they're not as good as the Dodgers. I would rather the Reds play the Dodgers. I think that they're in, they're going to have their hands full regardless. Mm-hmm. But to me, I just think there's that mystique about the Cubs. Maybe not against every opponent that the Cubs go up against, but especially against divisional opponents. They're the Cubs. Like that, That's the thing. And the coming into the year, the Cubs, this is one of the weaker Cubs teams. But again, because it is the Cubs, it definitely kind of widens that gap. Uh, but no, the Dodgers, I think the Reds would be more locked in for the Dodgers. Um, I think that, you know, right now with this good, and I think the Reds have the, their work cut out for them too, because keep in mind, you have, Luis Castillo has an ERA uh, right now. I mean, he is kicking ass as far as that's concerned. The month of September is 4-0, ERA at 1.26. He has 33 strikeouts in the month of September. But he's had the best September, but Trevor Bauer has been the Reds' best pitcher all season mm-hmm. long. And the Reds and David Bell have a tough decision to make on who they're going to roll with in game one of any series, no matter what, whether it's a wild card, whether it's, you know, whatever they position themselves in. The Reds have a tough decision to make as far as who their starter is going to be in game one of any playoff series and any opponent that they go up against. That's going to be key. I think it's going to be easy to roll the dice and go with Luis Castillo, but I think you should go with the horse that got you there. Trevor Bauer has been not just the Reds' best pitcher all season. I think he's been the best pitcher in baseball. As much as he drives me up the damn wall, I think that you got to go with the guy who, by the way, has pitched in some of the biggest games um, of his career. He's pitched deep into the playoffs. He's pitched in a World Series. Luis Castillo... His, you know, if he was to start the Reds' very first playoff game, um, you know, since the beginning of the 2010s, to me, I, I just don't see that. That would be his first start ever in the playoffs. I wouldn't throw him out into the Wolves like that. That would be focused on Trevor Bauer as far as that's concerned. Yeah, Bauer's up there with Shane Bieber, the guys that have really been balling this season, pitching-wise. Um, I I probably would say the Dodgers as I, as I think about it, um, just because – I like to have the pressure on the other team. The pressure is all on the Dodgers. I don't care what anybody says. It's a throwaway season. Uh, it's not too much pressure. It's a Rona season, everything like that. No one's playing at home, yada, yada, yada. There's no fans. No, the pressure is always on the team that spends that type of money that the Dodgers spends. So pressure's on the Yankees. The pressure's on the Dodgers. All the big-time teams that spend money in baseball, the pressure's on them to come through and go to the World Series because they're expected to. The Reds aren't expected to make it to the World Series like they are. So but prove the, it. But the, but the problem is, and I agree with you, but we never put the pressure on those teams in base. For one, it's the hardest championship to win in any sport. I think right. it's harder than, obviously, it's harder than football. It's harder than basketball. More times than not, the best team in basketball usually, I mean, the Lakers, the one seed, they're poised to go on to win the championship this year. That's going to surprise nobody, um, and it shouldn't. And, and in football, a lot of times, I mean, the Chiefs were the best team in football. I mean, more times than not. You know, if you look at the top three teams in football every year, more times than not, one of the top three teams always seems to come away with that trophy. There's outliers. No, I shouldn't even use the word outliers <laughs> with that. Outliers are rare. More times than not, you do see teams outside of the, the top three teams can you know get hot. We've seen wildcard teams do it. The Giants did it multiple occasions with Eli. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that in baseball, it's 
The Red the Reds could go on to win a World yes. Series. It's not that. I mean, the Nationals, no one gave the Nationals a shot last year, and they had one of the best rotations in baseball, but because they didn't have Bryce Harper, who they lost in free agency, to the Phillies, who, coincidentally enough, the Phillies missed the playoffs last year, you never know how that's going to work And this out. year, Washington is going to miss the playoffs. Shaw says, uh, as a Braves fan, I want the Reds, uh, <laughs> as far as that's concerned. So, no, look, the Reds, I wouldn't want them to you know, meet up with the Reds. The, the problem is, though, every team that makes the playoffs usually has a couple horses in their rotation. You're not making the playoffs with a bad rotation. Um, you're not going to advance in the playoffs with a bad bullpen either, and I can't tell what the Reds have right now. The Reds have an improved bullpen, but I still think there's a lot of ghosts that still kind of float around in the heads of some of those guys. Like, if they go to Iglesias in the playoffs, I'm going to be a nervous wreck the entire time. Even though Iglesias has not pitched horribly. He's pitched really well as of late. But they go to him in the playoffs. I'm worried about what's up here when it comes to that as far as just because of how many games he has cost the Reds uh, at the beginning of the season. So now it's going to be interesting. Um, Dalton Cooper on Facebook. Again, going back to the Facebook reaction. He says, the more turnover in baseball and variance from year to year as players more than any other sport. Um, I don't even think it's that. I just think it's you play 100. I mean, yes, that plays a role, uh, Dalton. But. Keep in mind, too, 162 games over six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's about who's healthy, too. Yeah. Who's healthiest at the end. Um, I, I think that plays a huge role as far as that's concerned. Uh, Ron Howard says, don't matter who the Reds play in the playoffs, Bell will lose it due to his inexperience and computer crap. Uh, I just was about to bring that up. I was to, just about to say that. To be fair, well, yeah. But keep in mind, though, David Bell is wired for the playoffs. His biggest problem, I'll give David Bell this. He manages a 162-game season like it is the playoffs, and you can't do that. Mm-hmm. We always say all the time, like, man, you always have to manage a game differently in the playoffs than you do in the regular season. David Bell's problem is, is he's always so extra cautious because he, he's treating every game like it's Game 7 of the World Series instead of saying, like, you need to win the game tonight. You worry about game. tonight. Right. You know, in the playoffs, you're trying to stretch, you know, you're making a lot of similar decisions, too. But David Bell, I think he'll be okay. I'm not going to cra- – David Bell gets into the playoffs great. You know, if they get to the playoffs and they lay an egg, oh, well. Like, you talk, talk about that pressure. The Reds are just expected to make the playoffs. This is like that first step, all right? Mm-hmm. The, this is the second step. The first step was, you know, putting a competitive team out on the field, looking like a quality team. The Reds have accomplished that. They were able to get good pitching. They have solid hitting. The bullpen, it's been shaky, but they've gotten the job done as of late. You're not winning eight of your final nine in September, positioning yourselves for the playoff spot if you don't have a good bullpen, and the Reds have been able to do that. Hell, David Bell's used the bullpen to start games. We've seen what Michael Lorenzen's been able to do uh, in being a opener. Not a big fan of that, but guess what? I've, I'll keep my promise. David Bell wants to do stupid things that I don't like as far as using an opener. Just win. If he does dumb things like that and the Reds win, which they have been, you're going to hear a word from me. But when you do stupid stuff like that and you lose, guess what? Kendra are going to chat a lot. See, the thing is about playoff baseball, every decision that's made by a manager is under the microscope. The things that the normal everyday Reds fan watches on a day-in and day-out basis and complains about, it goes unheard until the national media gets a hold of it and it's on ESPN because it is the playoffs and everything is magnified. Um, Those decisions made by managers that are out of the box or quirky, they're looked at as good if it works out and it's looked at what the blank are you doing when it doesn't work out. It's all about if it works or not and having a feel for your guys. And like I, I say this all the time, you're dialed into baseball way more than I am. But 
you got to have a feel of your guys. We talk about the Cleveland Indians a little bit just because I'm here. But, you know, Francona is not going to be there. He's dealing with blood clots all over his body. He's not going to be there. So is Sandy Alomar going to be able to push the right buttons for the Cleveland Indians when they make the playoffs? Is David Bell's micromanaging and number crunching going to work when they make the playoffs? Because right now it's, it's just just the local guys talking and complaining about it. But when it's in the playoffs, when it's on TBS at 1 o'clock and people are, you know, taking the extended lunch break like it's March Madness and watching every pitch from beginning to end, not just coming in, coming home at the seventh inning and checking out the last couple innings of the game or just catching the first couple innings of the game. You know, when the playoffs happen, people watch from beginning to end. So the microscope is going to not only be on the players, but especially in the case of David Bell because of his style of managing yeah to be and again i'm i'm always super critical of david bell so i'm trying to make sure i toe that line of being consistent too they're playing well we said this oh well when we get to the playoffs let's be clear the playoffs are already started right like every loss again it's not like single elimination but every loss is a critical loss and every win every win doesn't feel big every win just feels like a sigh of relief every loss feels huge every win just feels uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, because every win doesn't get you anywhere, Kev. It just keeps you where you're at. But every loss sets you back. So, right now, the Reds, play, the players have already started. The, right. The play, and David Bell's handling of this team in this final, in this second to last week of the season has been fantastic. He's done a good job already with this. We'll see. Last night, though, it did drive me nuts with the small ball. Again, just always having to rely. I mean, to me, that's not strategy. I mean, what's I mean, people, I mean, this is what, and I think, was it you? We're talking about the take, you know, putting the the DH in the National League. And, mm-hmm. oh, we hate it because it takes strategy out. Baseball's been doing everything they can to take strategy out of the game for years now. Strategy is advancing base runners, is, is increasing your shot to win. Now, stats will show that, hey, punting and all that stuff doesn't work. It's not true. It's not, not true. true. <laughs> I mean, the stats may show that, but I'm telling you right now, again, every time you go up there and it's just swinging for the fences or nothing, that's bad baseball. It's bad baseball. I don't care what anybody says. It's bad baseball. And it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds moving forward. But last night, there was not a fan of that either. Everything's fences or nothing. But here's the deal. You might beat the Dodgers in small ball, but you're not going to beat the – do you really think against the, against the Dodgers and Kershaw and those guys, you think you're going to average five to six home runs a night? Can't do it. You think you're going to average three home runs a night? Because let's just say it's three single shots a night. That's only three runs. You're going to outscore the Dodgers lineup with that? Find ways to get runs in. Not everything has to be out of the fence or not. I mean, give me a break. Uh, David Kendrick on Facebook says, That is a great point by Kev. In these uncertain baseball times, managers that pull quirky moves that are successful are going to get praised as geniuses by the national talking heads. Also, baseball is the only sport where you can make a decision early in the game, and we'll all blame you for that decision early in the game. I brought that up all the time about... Uh, like, if you pull a guy too early in the third inning. Or fourth okay, inning, okay, okay, okay. We're going to say, oh, the game is lost then. But when basketball coaches make stupid decisions and bench guys in the second quarter or the first half, files. we we don't ever, we don't do that. We don't say, oh, well, if it, you know, if the coach wouldn't have, have managed his fouls better in the first half, you, it might be a small talking point, but we're not going to blame the coach for that and say they lost because baseball, we do that all the time. Oh, if he wanted to have taken Bauer out in the fifth inning and let him go for two or three more, the Reds win that game. We do that all the time. No other sport do we do that. You know, I bring that up all the time. That's why I talk about officiating. Officiating well, is bad in every baseball, game. baseball, the pitcher controls everything. The pitcher controls the tempo of the game. He controls what happens on the field and uh-huh. everything like that. He has more control than anybody else, right? Yeah, but 
he doesn't have control of how long he could stay out on the mound. That's that, that's the big complaint about David Bell. You'll, how many games this year have? And again, Bauer gets more leash than any of them. But how many games? Not just this year. We're talking about 200 plus games that David Bell's managed this Reds team. And how many times can you go to social media during a Reds game and just have fans ripping David Bell because? What are you doing? You should have left him out there. He's rolling. Why would you go to this questionable bullpen at this time when you have a you know a guaranteed out in this in this inning? So that that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I know what you're saying. Yes, when the pitcher's out there, they control everything, but they don't control when they get taken out. And David Bell has been made that an art as far as taking guys out early. Okay, so answer this for me. What is this for then? If you're if it's to save their arm. Right, it's to save their arm. Right, is it to save their arm for later in the season, like in the postseason when you need them, or is it to save their arm for later on in their career? No, it ain't for the later on in the career. And more times than not, you would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's for later on in the season. But it's for that magical little stat of the third time through the order. Oh, you know, hey, he's rolling right now. But, man, that's the first two times through the order. The third time through the order is when pitchers fall apart. So David Bell tries to overmanage to he tries to eliminate the blow-up ball before right. it actually happens. Which, again, sounds good, but sometimes that also costs you more games than not. Because... When a guy's rolling, you're going to a bullpen. Hey, everybody, it's Stephen A. Smith, and everyone knows my feelings on Cowboys fans. But really, Justin Kenner, you're a Cowboys fan and a Browns fan? Good Lord have mercy. I don't know what the hell to do with y'all. I really don't. Back to the Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Yeah, our Browns-Bengals talk got a little heated yesterday. I've been trying to kind of tiptoe that today, you know. I don't like to have so much anger in back-to-back-to-back-to-back days. Yeah, man, you fresh off a of vacation, man. You're I had a lot bottled engaged. up. I had a lot bottled up, man. Mm-hmm. I saw so much delusion about uh, Joey B while I was gone, and I just had to set some people straight. That song is no big deal. <laughs> people, oh, man, MVP, MVP. Who said that? Bengals fan. <laughs> uh, Tannehill's going to put up some more touchdowns this week. They got Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Well, see, there you go. A.J. Brown's about to get loose again. <laughs> Shaw says, don't start with Joey B. again. Would hate to have to smack you down. Well, you if we had to put a rating on it, I'd give you a 49.9, which, of course, you would argue that's pretty good, like the QBR for Burrow. So, David, <laughs> you go right on ahead. You do what you got to do. <laughs> All right, a lot of big matchups in college football this weekend. And now this isn't a big matchup, but this is a big uh, big name program that is going to be sitting out this Saturday. Uh, I had been adamant that look, I, the reason back when the original decision was made for the Big Ten to uh, postpone the fall season and to postpone the 2020 fall college football season uh, to the spring, I didn't. I mean, I was upset. I was bummed, but I'm like, you know what? Who cares? Because I'm not going to waste a lot of energy being upset that there's no Big Ten football when ultimately I think we're all going to like. For instance. I don't know about you, but I, I have road rage pretty bad. I get pretty angry. I get mad when people like zip around me and speed up and they you know make fools of themselves. And then you know what happens? We all pull up to the same red light. And then you look over and like, see, you drove like an ass, and we're all ending up at the same spot at the same right. time. So what are that? So that was my philosophy. This is a good one. It's a good analogy. This that was my philosophy on this. Why am I going to get mad about the SEC and everyone passing the Buckeyes? You know, speeding past them on the highway when we're all going to end up at that same red light anyways. Well, that red light obviously is not happening. But to be honest, it's going to be green and we're all just going to keep going. No traffic jam, you know, a little traffic jam. No, you know, so the bottom line is I was wrong. Clearly, there's going to be a season, but it doesn't mean that, uh, like, look, there's still going to be hiccups along the way. For instance, Notre Dame has had 13 players test positive for the virus. And that's just this go round. So those 13 players are in isolation. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, as far as how that spreads. So I'm curious. I thought that 
I thought players were safer on their campus than they were at home. I, I thought that you couldn't get it on campus. I'm really confused. Uh, or maybe Brian Day just meant Ohio State. Like, Ohio State is the most special place in the world because it's the only place in the world where the virus doesn't exist and there's no way their players will get it. Hopefully, that doesn't come back and bite them in the behind because Notre Dame was kind of doing the same thing. Notre Dame has had multiple outbreaks. Yeah. They have had multiple outbreaks. They need to pray a little more or something because they, 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 they've had multiple outbreaks. Uh, but so, no, the game with Wake Forest, again, this isn't one of the bigger matchups this weekend. But, again, it is Notre Dame. They're going to have to sit out this Saturday. That's one less game that they're going to play. I mean, how are they going to – again, it says that it's, the schedule for Saturday has been postponed. How do you make those games up? Football's a difficult game to just make – oh, we'll play doubleheader on Saturday. <laughs> and it's like – They Ford. have, uh, like – I want to say ACC has built-in bye weeks this year. Like, they have something wacky where they're, like – teams like go back to back weeks where they're like on a bye week in case something like this was going to happen but my biggest question for everything involving college sports especially college football is you know all right now that the big 10 is back their rules are different from the acc acc who is notre dame they're a part of the acc this year those players can't have contact with the team for 10 days but in the big 10 is 21 days, three weeks. So, God forbid, some of our key players test positive for COVID-19, and they're out for 21 days. That's three games. Say they lose the one eight or, game season. Yeah. Say they lose one or two of those games. I can hear it now. I can hear it now. Why are our rules so strict and the other conference not so strict? Like I mean, these are the these are the things that are going to happen because obviously. Like I talked about yesterday, when someone on your favorite team tests positive for COVID-19, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were out partying, being irresponsible. They could have just caught the virus, you know. So this is we're not out the woods yet. You know, we're not out the woods until we crown a national champion. And and then in that aspect, um, especially here in Buckeye country, we're not out the woods until we make it to the national championship and win a national championship without any of our guys testing positive for COVID-19. Oh, I think you're going to continue <laughs> to see players test positive. I, if I had to put money, 100% chance there's a national champion. There's mm. no, like, I don't see, look, we're at the point now where, like, we canceled March Madness because it was unheard of at that time, and we were, you know, there was just so many unknowns. Now, it's okay. We've accepted the fact that there's going to be positive tests. Now it's, okay, what do we do? You just do what the plan is. Okay, positive test, and here's what we do. Like, Notre Dame. Postponement, move on. Here's what it is. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Um, I don't know how much of that you'll see with Ohio State, but I would expect at some point there's going to be a player just with the, you know, the caliber well, there of players. There are no bye weeks in the Big Ten. I know. I mean, it's going to impact <laughs> them, but there's going to be a season one way or another. So, Gunnar Hoke, you know, whoever, be ready. You know? And can't, you know, you got to be ready because, you know, Justin Fields could be at another Georgia practice and catch it. I'm just saying. Does anyone still remember that, by the way? I just want to throw that out there. I don't know why no one thinks that's a big deal. I still think it's a big deal. He was flirting. He was winking at Georgia. He was cheating. That's cheating. He was emotionally cheating with Georgia. Buckeye fans, he smiles and winks at you, and you're like, oh, he still loves me. I saw a graphic little comic yesterday that it's no Justin Fields. He never once thought about leaving. Really? You think he was really there just supporting Georgia, his former teammates? Give me a break. Anyways, OH. IO. All right, hour number two coming up. We'll talk with ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. We'll talk about uh, some of the big college. Kidder Show, live here on ESPN Dayton.
that's we've seen a lot of sports, uh, you know, at every level, whether it's high school, college, pro, take a lot of different measures in, in trying to, of course, protect the players, protect the officials, fans, so on and so on. And one of the crazier things, I've seen, like, for instance, so I remember the first high school football game Keith Byers and I called. It was just a small thing. He just started noticing, hey, the officials never touch the ball. You know, the center is the only one that touches the ball. You know, so when the, you know, an incomplete pass, you know, players don't pick it up and kind of toss it to the official, you know, that type of thing. Well, when high school basketball gets here, you're going to notice something very different as well. Uh, well, I don't know if you'll notice it or not. Nothing, no word about how it'll be handled here in the state of Ohio, but in Kentucky, they have already ruled that a coin flip will determine who gets the ball first. There will be no jump ball. Like, I'm all for taking measures and trying to, you know what I mean? Like, I thought that the idea of, you know, speeding up halftime and some other thing, you know, trying to limit the amount of congregated time that you have, like, I get all that. But this is stupid. And by the way, if you're going to do something stupid like this, at least have fun with it. How entertaining would this be? Shoot for it. Captains meet out at half court. And, not, and this should be on Twitter, Facebook, Live, everything, and a little rock, paper, scissors. It would be so intense. Rock, paper, scissors, both team captains. You're not touching anyone's hand. You're, you know, wear a mask. Do we got to do? Well, rock, paper, scissors action to determine who gets the ball. If you're going to do something stupid like a coin flip, you might as well go the extra stupid mile and do a little rock, paper, scissors. That's how I view that. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't get it. They're going to be playing they basketball. They're going to be playing basketball. So what is taking out the jump ball going to do? I don't know. I think that every time the shot goes up, it doesn't matter what the result is. Someone's going to flip a coin. Heads it goes in, tails it's a miss. <laughs> Man, three straight heads. You're on fire right now. This is stupid. I, I mean, everything, and I've said this before, a lot of measures that are being taken are not actually done to protect anybody. It's done to give the illusion that we're protecting you. If we're talking about, I mean, if I can give a presentation and say, here's the 10 things we're doing to help protect you and ensure your safety during this time, a couple will be legit, and the others will just be made to make you feel good. For those of you, I have complained about this for months now. Every time I go to drive through, and again, I go through a lot of drive through restaurants, okay? I like my fast food. It drives me nuts. Taco Bell is the one that does this more than anyone else. I, I, Taco Bell is the only one I always think of when it comes to this. They will I'll watch the employee grab your food and put it in the basket, and then they hand the basket out the window so that you can grab the food out of the basket. And I'm like, that's, that's dumber than the coin flip for a basketball game. That's stupid. What, what are you accomplishing with that? You, you, oh, but again, talk about went that extra mile. They now have this little cute little cup rack that's in that same thing. So now they put your little your little bag of food, and then they put your drink and the little cup holder in the basket for contactless delivery. It's so stupid. So I'll watch them. The, the guy will literally grab my drink, put it in the cup holder. He'll grab my bag, put it in the basket, and then hand the basket out the window for me to grab. There's probably people listening right now in a drive through line at Taco Bell. Pay attention. It's going to happen. It's pointless. But you know what? You feel safe going to Taco Bell now, don't you? You're not safe. It ain't protecting you. And, you know, the real damage comes on the ba- at the bathroom later on. I mean, that's where the real damage comes into play. But it's not protecting you. You know, how about all the fast food or all the pizza deliveries and stuff? Oh, you call us now for contactless delivery. Just because you throw the damn thing on our porch and, you know, don't actually hand it to us doesn't mean you didn't touch our food. You touched our food. That's the dumbest thing. We do DoorDash. We try to, oh, yeah, it's contactless delivery. You know why I like it? Because I don't have to talk to people. I don't have to deal with people. I don't have to knock on the door and say, hi, how are you? I don't care how your night's going. I'm just here to deliver your food so I can get my money and go on with my merry old day. I got a wedding to pay for. I'm doing a lot of DoorDash stuff, okay? <laughs> so that's the thing. Like, th- this stuff drives me nuts. So this coin flip, what science behind it is all of a sudden now these players, all of a sudden they're 10 times more protected from the virus because there's a coin flip before a game. Because after that coin flip, you throw the ball in, 
You're still sweating. Right. You're still all gross, you know, posting up down low, coming off screens, boxing out for rebounds. Give me a break. Give me yeah, a break. It's, it's terrible. I, I despise it because now you have a form of chance playing a role in the game because there's no jump ball in high school basketball is possession arrow just like it is in college basketball which is another stupid situation but now that's involved you could do something as we did in pickup basketball when we play pickup basketball we shoot for it you make it you get the ball you miss it the other team gets the ball could be as simple as that or you could just be like all right since you guys are the home team automatically the road team gets the ball first you could say something as simple as that but this coin flip is horrible I despise it. I hate it. I'm with you. I, I mean, like, there's a lot of things. Like, so, for instance, uh, didn't football get rid of the coin flip? No, it's still there. No, it's still there, but they were talking. That's what it was. They were talking about getting rid of the coin flip. For one, I don't think it needs to be a coin flip. One person goes out. It's, it's one captain for each team and just the uh, official. How about this? It's this simple. I said the same thing in football. You're already taking home field away it's not that you're taking. Home field has been eliminated because of limited fans. Like, you no longer have, like, in high school basketball, high school football, college football, NFL. It doesn't matter, regardless of the sport. There is no such thing as home field advantage or home court advantage anymore. I mean, some fans, you know, there's fans at football games, by the way, which, by the way, it's still good atmosphere at these high school games. I don't know if you've been, you haven't been to high school games yet. Great atmosphere still. You know, yes, you would love more fans there, but still good atmosphere. Um, but with that being said, you're taking away aspects from the home crowd that usually benefit the home team. So you know what? Just make it simple. Home team, you get the ball first. What's what's wrong with that? Absolutely. Or let the home team choose. Hey, and by the way, it doesn't I mean doesn't exactly. matter in basketball. I don't you know, football matters. So you give up a score late at the end of the half and then you have to kick the ball off right to them again after the, you know, have possession matters, you know, whether you, you know it's a strategy. You know, I would rather I would always rather receive first in the second half than the first half. I, I that's, you know, they always do the whole, oh, I want my defense to set the tone. No, you just want the ball back in the first possession of the second you want to half. Double dip. Because you either double dip or you prevent you prevent yourself from getting double dipped. Yeah. Like, there's nothing worse than when you give up a score. I mean, for one, I think of the Ohio State-Michigan game, for one, this happened big time. You know, it was a shootout, remember? Ohio mm-hmm. State-Michigan this last year was a shootout, back and forth. And Michigan turns the ball over, so then Ohio State takes the lead, and then they go down and score and go up 14. They go up 14, and then, so this went, so again, shootout, Ohio State scores to take the lead. Michigan then turns the ball over the next possession. Ohio State goes down, scores. Michigan was scoring on every possession until they turned the ball over. So they turned it over. Ohio State goes up 14. That was to close out the first half. Ohio State gets the ball back in the start of the second half. Boom, go right down the field, score again. Then it was 21 nothing. I'm not defending Michigan at all, but that totally changed the outcome of the game. So those possessions matter in football. In basketball, it doesn't. Don't even do the coin flip. Home team, just Take the ball down the the floor first. I mean, this whole thing is stupid. I get it. It's all about trying to make people feel safe during this. There's some things that need to be done to help protect, but you're playing a contact sport. Basketball is not as physical as football, but it's it's contact. You're rubbing up against people the entire game. Mm -hmm. So taking out the coin toss or doing a coin toss, taking out the jump ball is stupid. I just don't. I don't see the purpose of it. I think it's more dumb than actually having the jump ball. If you're trying to convince me otherwise, but Justin Kendrick, Kevin Nash, with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. How about this? Ron Howard says baseball visiting team uh, always bats first. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing I saw too for the Major League Baseball playoffs. The um, the higher seed. Okay, so this isn't dumb, but like, so the higher seed will just they're the home team, which mm-hmm. that, that's duh. <laughs> right. Like 
So if the Dodgers play the Reds in the first round of the play, the Dodgers are the home team, so they'll bat last. Right. But like they had to put out the Major League Baseball put out this press release. Breaking news, baseball announces how they're going to handle home and away team. Why why duh? Like you didn't change anything. You've cha- you've made it a neutral location, but you didn't change anything. I yeah. just clarification. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, by the way, Charles Tackett says, Kenner, glad you guys are back. Thought you might have gotten fired. <laughs> Congratulations on getting engaged. I don't know what I would have got fired for. And if I would have, <laughs> I say a lot of stupid things. I'm surprised I haven't been uh, candy. It was that one time you said that one thing, and I got I'm about to paranoid. say it again. You're allowed to say it. No, you can't. And don't say bar. it. Don't say it's it, It's a bitty bar. There you I go. said bitty, but we all know what it means. You're allowed to say that. Speaking of that, by the way, did you see Robert Kraft? That he's going to yeah. get off oh, on the parlor charges. Like, and that's why I was like, isn't that what got him in trouble in the first place? <laughs> but that's great news for Robert Kraft. He's going to get away with this. He's not going to get charged with anything. And we all know how much he loves a happy ending. And it sounds like it's going to be a happy ending for Robert Kraft, Patriots owner. Just saying. But did you see how, how you get away with that? Money buys everything. Money's what got him into that situation. <laughs> and money got him out. How do you get? I mean, that that amazes me. By the way, with as much as we love scandals in sports, I'm surprised that never took off. Provided a lot of good jokes. If it was Jerry Jones, it would have took off more. If it had been Jerry Jones, I'd have been impressed. <laughs> Skeletor wearing the cowboy hat with the cigar. Ladies, I'm here. I ain't gonna pick you. You guys pick me. I mean, I don't know what Jerry oh, Jones goodness. would do. I mean, J- J- Jerry Jones is, oof. but Robert Kraft, he just gets away with it. He just gets away with it. I don't get it. What if it was Odell? <laughs> oh, no. Well, he would need a little bit. He would need that Robert Kraft money for the special request that he'd be having. Uh, Charles says uh, money makes the world go round. Uh, David uh, Shaw says, so SEC football. What, David? What? Please explain. You're very vague. So SEC football. I, I, I don't. I mean, the SEC, they're going to score more than Robert Kraft at a parlor. I mean, I, I don't know what you want me to say about the SEC right now. What? Kicking off this weekend. We're kicking off this weekend. We're getting into some college football talk with Jason Fitz coming up here in just a moment. So there's that. All right. We do got a lot more coming in. We're going to talk with Jason Fitz regarding uh, the SEC kicking off this weekend. We'll talk about some of the big matchups, um, of course, coming up. In week three of the NFL season, Shaw goes on to say LSU has to play six top 15 teams. Yes, you know why that is, David, because he plays in a real conference. The SEC actually has good teams in it. Uh, The Buckeyes have a bunch of cupcakes, but I'm still trying to look for the full, the ice cream cakes within the Big Ten. Who who are the good cakes in the Big Ten? Ohio State's it. So, yes, LSU, they have a tough draw, but you know what? There's a lot of real teams in the SEC, not so much in the Big Ten. Uh, you You are talking about everything but football. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on a Tuesday. It is the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410, Wing AM. we got Reds baseball coming up for you here uh, just around the corner. 610 will be the pregame, 640 the first pitch. Right now, I believe I just saw that the Phillies are down 3 nothing already. So it's one of the teams that the Reds are kind of nipping at the heels of, or at least they're nipping at the heels of the Reds. The Reds moved into the seventh seed. Uh, so we'll talk some more Reds coming up around the corner. Let's stay in the world of football. I'm a- it's just a saint to be able to expose that, and it would turn into a shootout that ultimately the Saints would win. Instead, John Gruden came in with the game plan that was really masterful, and I was stunned. I was stunned to watch every second of that go down, and, and really immensely proud, not just to be a Raiders fan today, but as somebody that was born and raised as a kid in Vegas. I mean, 
what that moment meant for that city that's had such a rough 2020 because of everything going on in the world. I think was really you can't you can't put that significance into words. So it was a really truly special night for Las Vegas, for Vegas fans, and for Raiders fans. Hey, Jason, everything that's going on in the NFL, so many scoring touchdowns, so many dynamic quarterbacks, it seems like the Steelers and the Ravens and Buffalo are the only teams that are attempting to play defense this season. What say you about the offense, a potency of teams in the league this year? That's a really great question because it's one of the more surprising things to me. And, and frankly, I've talked to a bunch of our experts to try and figure it out. I mean, we're used to the concept of defense usually as ahead, especially at the beginning of training camp. I was watching the Thursday night game last week with Mike Golick Jr., and he was talking about usually the first couple of days in camp when you go one-on-one drills, the defensive line is always leading the offensive lineman. For some reason, that hasn't been the case this year. And what we've seen, if you really sit there and watch the big guys up front, you've seen that there's been less lane responsibility coming from defensive linemen. So it feels like guys aren't necessarily playing as disciplined as they need to up front from the pass rush. And so without a generated pass rush, it just feels like the way they've spread out these offenses and the sort of college concepts that have come in are just giving quarterbacks the opportunity to get rid of the ball quickly. They're doing it efficiently. So I've been really surprised, and I'm not sure when it normalizes. It will normalize at some point, but it's going to take teams being willing to take risks and really press up on receivers. So I think that's going to be a trend for the next several weeks, maybe the next uh, first half of the season. And as long as it's happening, it's really making for, you're right, video game football where defensive teams can't win just because they have good defense. ESPN's Jason Fitz with us here on the Justin Kidder Show with Kev Nash, Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa. There was, I believe, the last I counted, 15 season-ending uh, injuries uh, the first couple weeks of the season already. I mean, that's obviously we've seen. Was it how many years ago was it, Jason, where there was just seemed like every big name out there was just getting hurt left and right? It's kind of having that same feel right now as we start the season. Is that because of lack of preseason or no preseason, I should say, or is it just the nature of football? Well, you know, I think a lot of us are going to argue right now that it's the lack of preseason and ramp-up time. I mean, the practices have been so different. Uh, Sarah Spain that I work with at night, I mean, I think she makes a good point that let's get a little bit more sample size because it could just be one of those years. But you're right. It was 2016 when all the quarterbacks started just dropping like flies. And the funny thing is we will remember that not only was that an election year, which uh, takes attention away, but with all the quarterbacks, uh, being hurt, it, ratings were down. And I wonder if it'll have the same effect here because you're not just talking about season-ending injuries. You're talking about season-ending injuries to stars. When you've got guys that are candidates to be on the cover of Madden that are suddenly gone for the entire year for major teams that are expected to be able to make a push, I mean, that's when you start looking around and say, man, that is rough. If you're a 49ers fan, I mean, are you really going to keep be excited to continue to watch uh, if, if your team is decimated? So, I'm interested to see what the effect of that is over the course of the season for the NFL because obviously, you know, with everything else going on and the amount of sports that are going on right now and the fact that, you know, just because as we always have on election years, attention is being paid to other things. I wonder what the, what the trickle effect will be towards the conversation around the NFL this season. Jason, I want to switch over to college football real quick. We got the SEC getting ready to kick off this weekend. Uh, we already, the Big 12 has been playing football. ACC's been playing football. We got the Big 10 coming back later in October. But my biggest question is uh, when a player tests positive for COVID in the ACC, they're out 10 days. But in the Big 10, it's three weeks, 21 days. How do you see that having an effect on the college football season? Well, that's also an awesome question because one thing, you know, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to Dallas and be a part of the mock playoff process. And one of the things that really stunned me when you're sitting in the room and the way they do it, they had 13 of us in there just like the playoff committee. They had the same 
committee chairs and everybody's running it and we're voting on an old season. They pick an old season and we just argue it and we have it out over it. One of the things that is a real conversation for the playoff committee is injuries. So a loss, not all losses are, are treated equally. I mean, for example, if a team loses a game but they didn't have their starting quarterback for the second half, that loss is treated a little differently by the committee. What are they going to do when they're looking at the fact that, to your point, the ACC doesn't have the same waiting period? But the other side of it is the Big Ten is going to have daily testing mm -hmm. for all of their players. So they believe that they can get around some of the contact tracing issues. So you may see less players that are suspended, but they're suspended for longer. So how does that affect everybody in this process? And the Big Ten has no wiggle room to make up games. So. I think it's going to have a massive effect, and I genuinely, I, I am thankful I'm not on the playoff committee <laughs> this year. I don't know how they're going to normalize it to figure out who should go and who shouldn't go. What I do know is that no matter what decision they make, college football fans will be mad, and I think they'll have a pretty good argument for it because there's no clear-cut, concise way that everybody's dealing with this. When, do you know when the first uh, college football playoff poll comes out? The college football playoff poll, uh, mid-November. It's a couple of weeks later. It's usually uh, the Tuesday after Halloween or right around yeah. Halloween, and it's mid-November this year. Okay, I wasn't sure because of the Big Ten starting late. I wasn't sure how they were going uh, to do that. And I think that's obviously going to be key as well. I mean, obviously with the Big Ten just announcing that they're coming back, it's going to be strange watching like almost a month-plus of football before the Big Ten actually kicks off at this point. But just how big is it for football that, of course, not just the Big Ten is now a part of the, the party as well, but mainly getting a championship contender in Ohio State when really looks like it's just a head-on collision waiting to happen in the national championship game with Ohio State and Clemson. Well, I, and I think, guys, that frankly, A, you're right about that. It does look like it's a collision course. And, and last year, you know, I had the opportunity last year to travel with game day and uh, for the digital work that I do, and I'm still hosting Countdown to Game Day, which you can check out the ESPN app uh, on uh, Saturday mornings before game day from 8.30 to 9. And so I'm working a lot with the game day team. And last year when we were standing on the sidelines, we were watching all the Clemson Ohio State action. The conversation even then was, man, next year this is going to be a battle, right? I mean, everybody's had their eyes on it. You know, but the other side of it is I think college football needs it. I mean, the weekend or the week, the matchups for the first couple of weeks have been bad. And I think what we've seen so far is that Clemson's really good, but the rest of the ACC is not living up to the hype. North Carolina is not as good as we thought they would be. I think we're overhyping what, uh, you know, where Miami is right now. And even Notre Dame hasn't looked as fast as we thought. And then the Big 12 feels like it's Oklahoma, maybe Texas, and then a bunch of nobodies. So, you know, I think right now college football is starved for the SEC and the Big Ten to get back just because maybe we'll get some competitive matchups. And it only takes one slip-up by a Clemson or an Oklahoma, and there's going to be a real opportunity, I think, for two teams to get in from one conference. So if I'm a Wisconsin that's looking around and saying, hey, don't sleep on me, I mean, I think there's going to be opportunity for that. The Big Ten coming back is finally going to give us better matchups, and we're desperate for that right now. Everything going on inside the NBA bubble, obviously. It's a big game tonight, Lakers. Nuggets, they had their hearts broken by AD with the buzzer beater the other night. Will Denver be able to pull what they did in the first round versus the Jazz, what they did to the Clippers? Will they be able to come back and defeat the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals? I mean, this is where I, I say no, but this is also where I also have to be like, I'm always honest with y'all, right? Like, I, I missed this the first two rounds. I mean, I didn't think the Nuggets had it in them to come back from down 3-1, but for me, this all goes back to a year ago right now when we were sitting on ESPN Radio telling everybody, this is the year of the dynamic duo. And the best dynamic duo in the league clearly belongs to the Lakers. So as, as much as I love what Denver's doing, I, I'm looking at the Lakers who got surprisingly good coaching this season out of Frank Vogel because none of us knew what to expect. And then you're looking at a Lakers team that clearly has the two best players. 
I just think their path to the championship is, is a clear one this, at this point. So uh, I think the Lakers are going to win. But at the same time, I mean, I, I remember in the last game, what, the Lakers were up by 12 at one point. And I'm looking around thinking, all right, this is what we expect. And the Nuggets have a level of fight in them we've never seen. And it's like that little brother that just keeps getting up and begging for more. And, you know, so I won't count them out of anything. But I do think the Lakers are going to win this series. All right, we have ESPN's Jason Fitz with us here on the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. He'll be hanging out with us every Tuesday at 4.30. We're excited to have him here. Real quick, Jason, I want to go back uh, to the NFL real quick. Uh, you know, it's, a lot of eyes are on Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. We got to see another rookie quarterback uh, kind of make his debut at the last second over the weekend in Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, despite his great performance uh, in a loss to, you know, to Kansas City, He's still not the starter moving forward. What more does Justin Herbert have to do, and why is he not the starter in a day and age where when teams draft rookie quarterbacks so high, they're instantly thrown out into the fire? Why is this situation different? Well, I I don't know that it should be, but I will say as much as we've talked today already about COVID, I mean, the inability to get the normal number of reps does play into player development, right? So quarterback development, I, I don't have a problem with somebody being patient in that department. However, he looked so good last week, and he seemed to have a, a control of the offense when he didn't even know he was going to be playing. So I don't know why you don't play him, because what do you see for Cincinnati? I mean, uh, yes, Joe Burrow is going to take his lumps. I think Joe Burrow is not going to be a good quarterback. He's going to be a great quarterback. I think he is a spectacular franchise-caliber quarterback that should have been after his year last year at LSU. Talked about the same way we talked about Andrew Luck. He was that good, and, and I, I think he was spectacular in his, his last year there. So. You know, I, I, I look at Justin Herbert and I'm thinking, all right, if you want the opportunity to evaluate him, it's a very good football team talent-wise. I mean, it was supposed to be good enough that Brady would want to go there instead of Tampa. So they've supposedly got the talent. I don't know why you would be hesitant with him as long as he knows the playbook. And I can buy the argument that he doesn't, but then he went in against the Chiefs and showed that he does. So I think it's a mistake uh, by the Chargers, frankly. And, and, you know, for a team that's working their way into the market in a new stadium and trying to get people to care about him, I think – having that young quarterback out there would be a help for them from a business standpoint and from a football standpoint. So I think it's a huge mistake. No, absolutely. You talked about Joe Burrow, but Justin Herbert in just one start, I thought looked more impressive in his one start against the defending Super Bowl champions than we've seen from Joe Burrow, who a lot of people here in the Dayton, Cincinnati area are super high on for obvious reasons. And I have to agree with you. I think he's going to be great, but I don't think he's looked as sharp. But I think that says more about the pieces around him or lack thereof um, as far as that's concerned with Joe Burrow. Sorry, I, we talk a lot of Joe Burrow, Jason. I'm getting lit up on Twitter and Facebook right now, so that's why I'm laughing. But uh, Joe Burrow, was the struggles for him so far, is it more team reasons than his reasons, correct? Yeah, I think that a thousand percent. Look, the, the struggles for Joe Burrow, one, is that they have a terrible offensive line, and we all know that. And two, I think he's still working out the timing, right? You know, he makes smart decisions, really smart, intuitive decisions. And that's, I think, the part of it, you know, you can't always coach. That's the part of it that you see from him in the game, and he can make every stinking throw in the book. And he's athletic, so... I think those are all huge positives. He just has to learn the speed of the game. And, again, without, without the preseason reps, I, I, I mean, I can't over, oversell how important that is to a young, uh, a young player in general. I think for every single fan base, look at your first-round picks this year and just acknowledge for your first and second-round picks that are expected to get a lot of playing time, like, it's going to take till week five or six before you really get to see much on them. But, uh, you know, yes, absolutely. I think Burrow has the opportunity to be great. The Bengals now just have to do the right thing, which is build an offensive line around them. And frankly, they haven't, they've spent the money. They just haven't done it the right way in the past. So they've got to get it figured out. Yeah, $160 million in the offseason, and you ignore the number one issue on your team, which is offensive line when you go and get your guy. 
Uh, the Bengals, they have more problems up top. Joe Burrow, he has his work cut out for him. He has his work cut out for him. So, as far as that goes. I got him started. Yep, you got me started. <laughs> Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, host of Spain and Fitz, weeknights from 7 to 9 right here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. Jason, thanks so much. We're looking forward to hanging out with you every Tuesday. going to be a blast, guys. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Later. Take care. All right, again, good stuff there. And, of course, as soon as yeah, <laughs> Doug Morgan says, suck on that, Kenner. <laughs> I don't know. Folks, I've never said the kid's not going to be good. I'm just saying he hasn't been as good as people have said. Justin Herbert, uh, if we're basing it off of performance, I mean, hell, Justin Herbert's best performance uh, is his only start of the season. And, I, by the way, I don't know what's going on with the Chargers. We're going to talk about that. We're going to step away for a few minutes. The Chargers, start Justin Herbert or fire the coach. Start Justin Herbert Goodness to fire the coach. Gracious. Because that's stupidity. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They, you know, Justin Herbert, he's the guy you drafted him for a reason. And you're going to start Tyrod Taylor? T-Mobile. We'll be back. So the Chargers are now basically the Cleveland Browns from two years ago. And it's coincidentally enough, it involves, I mean, some of the, the movie that we're watching with the Chargers, it has a lot of the same cast members from the Cleveland Browns from Baker Mayfield's rookie year. It is, you know, the leading cast member being Tyrod Taylor. He pleased the main. He's dead. Tyrod Taylor does. Tyler, Tyrod Taylor, no. Yawn. <laughs> no one's lining up to get Tyrod Taylor. And the coaches that do try to go with Tyrod Taylor get fired, like Hugh Jackson. We all know how that worked out. Remember Hugh Jackson was trying to do this whole little... No, you know, we got to draft our rookie quarterback and we got to let him sit back and learn. And that's what the Chargers are trying to do, but that's losing football. That's stupidity. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, solid quarterback. Not terrible, but you know what you have with him. He's not going to get any better. Uh, he, he's a solid quarterback on a team that's not going to the playoffs anyway. So, what is the purpose of playing Tyrod Taylor? He is getting you nowhere. You are not a playoff team. Your sole purpose right now is, especially when you were fortunate enough to be in the spot you were in, to move on from Phillip Rivers and draft a guy like Justin Herbert to. Maybe a year, two years before he was initially drafted, was looked at as the guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't look as sharp his remaining years at Oregon, but again, still very, very good. Um, and by the, you know, so with that being said, the Chargers are fortunate enough to get him. It's not, it's not often. I mean, when you look at the Steelers, the Steelers will not be fortunate enough to have a quarterback land. Maybe again, we've seen Big Ben wasn't ex wasn't looked at as the guy whenever he got there, and we all know how good he turned out. But you know. More times than not, the situation is you lose your great quarterback, and it takes a while before you find your next one. Yeah, everybody isn't the Colts. So, yeah. And the Chargers are in a situation where they may have had the perfect handoff. You know, the Packers had a perfect handoff. You went from, of course, that was strategic. That was planned. Um, you know, they, they drafted a guy too early. The Packers have, again, thought that, hey, maybe we're, you know, we're the smartest guy in the room. We're going to draft Jordan Love, and we have our quarterback who, who will overlap with Aaron Rodgers for a year or two, and then we have our quarterback moving forward. The Chargers, this wasn't strategy. They're just lucky that it worked out that way. Because Phillip Rivers was a good quarterback. I mean, they'll never sit there. I mean, well, he came in the same draft as uh, Big mm -hmm. Ben, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but with and that being said, so, yeah. and again, from a skill perspective, uh, not better than Big Ben, better than Eli. I would take Phillip over Eli. Uh, but uh, with that being said, the Chargers no longer have him. You get Justin Herbert. 
and the importance of having a rookie quarterback in the first four years. I mean, look, we saw the the urgency from the Bengals who finally decided to spend some money. Of course, they screwed up and did it stupid, but that's besides the point. The Bengals sensed the urgency of getting Joe Burrow, and they you know made sure that they were trying to fill up as many gaps as possible. The only problem is, is while spending money, they were digging bigger holes. That's a conversation for later. The Chargers have a quarterback in Justin Herbert, and very similar to the Browns, have a starting quarterback in Tyrod Taylor that basically we all know we're looking at saying, okay, he's not the starter for the year. It's just a matter of how long before you see the rookie quarterback come in. The same thing we saw with the Browns in Baker Mayfield years ago. And Hugh Jackson was trying to be the smartest guy in the room and saying, hey, I'm controlling Baker. Because we all know this. When you are a head coach of a team that drafts the future quarterback as a rookie, your chances of being the head coach when that quarterback reaches peak success, you're not going to be there. Every time that happens, it never happens. So Hugh Jackson, his time in Cleveland was done. Should have been done even before they drafted Baker, but that's besides the point. So with that being said, the Chargers are in a situation now where you didn't want to start Justin Herbert. But he found himself five minutes before kickoff being the guy going up against the defending Super Bowl champions and has an outstanding game. I mean, it was an amazing game considering the fact that you're a rookie going up against the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, you had no first team reps, no, pre- you know, at whatsoever. And he goes out there and does what he does and they nearly beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And then for their coach and Anthony Lynn to come out afterwards and say, hey, if Tyrod, after watching that, to say, if Tyrod's healthy, he's our guy. What are you smoking? I hope you get fired quicker than Hugh Jackson got fired because that's the dumbest thing. That's losing football. It's a losing mentality. That mentality doesn't exist anymore. We're going to draft a rookie, and we're going to coddle him, and we're going to rock him to sleep every night, and we're going to feed him baby food, and we're going to do all that. That doesn't Apparently exist. Apparently it does because it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It's happening it, and with when's the Chargers. When's the last time it worked? It's happening with the Chargers. It's happening in Miami. It happened with the Browns. It like, didn't happen with the Browns. It failed with the Browns. This is a mentality that some organizations still have. It's bad mentality. It doesn't work. Cleveland, they, they bailed on the plan two and a half games into the season. Yeah, they, and they also bailed on the coach, too. Yeah, the same not coach a, who also made the stupid decision to not like the quarterback. And the O.C., Huh? And the OC. Well, the OC, Todd Haley, that's his damn fault because he was creating chaos behind the scenes. So that's on him, uh, creating drama as far as that's concerned. That's how you ended up with the boob Freddie Kitchens leading the way moving forward. But with that being said, the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, fire him. Fire him. Stupid. Fire him. <laughs> like, you're a moron. How, do you, how can you watch what you did this past weekend and seriously have the nerve to come out in the press conference after? Like, you don't have Tom Brady that you're trying to tiptoe around his feelings. It's Tyrod Taylor. Give me a break. It's Tyrod Taylor. Like, he, he, no one's looking at Tyrod Taylor as the franchise quarterback. You were a stopgap anyways for what they were planning on doing post Phillip Rivers to begin with. So, I don't want to hear The Browns never looked at Tyrod Taylor as the franchise quarterback. He was a stopgap until they figured out what they were going to do with their draft picks. They had two of the top four. And they, you know, they got Baker Mayfield. And they moved on from Tyrod two and a half games in. Um, so, at this point, for me... Start him. Start. He, he looks better than everyone's drooling over Drew, uh, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. He should be drooling over this kid with the, with, uh, with the Padres. He's about to lose my balance. <laughs> the Chargers. Oh, my goodness. So there we go. Matt Sturgeon says, same show. Bang on the Bengals. I'm not, I mean, what? tell me what I, they're 0-2, Mr. Sturgeon. Take shots at UD. I haven't taken a shot at UD. I haven't even mentioned UD. I haven't mentioned the fact that UD is afraid to play right state and that they're looking for games and that they're going to, you know, their ego is going to get in the way of them not scheduling uh, right state. So, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, Matt Sturgeon. Have a is great that day. A shot at UD? Well, that's Matt Sturgeon's fault. I was just asking. Well, it's Matt's fault. You, or, I'm sorry, the 0 2 Bengals are winning a Super Bowl. You happy, Matt? Have a good day. We'll be back in a moment. Hour three coming up next. Not so long.
long ago, lots of things made people happy. I used to love going to the gym. I miss saying good morning to my coworkers. Today, there are still things that can make people happy. Oh, how pretty. A beautiful bouquet of flowers will definitely make someone happy. First Florist and Greenhouses can help you make someone happy. Go to firsttheflorist.com, choose a bouquet, and belt it safely. Make someone happy with First Florist and Greenhouses. Reds fans, don't miss the Justin Kinner Show. Or give us a call at 457-9464. We now send you to the Wing Studios in Kettering. Here's your host, Justin Kinner. All right, we are back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash, with you at 1410 ESPN Radio. Trying to have a cooler, calm, collected show today. How's that working out for you? It's going great. People drank their sensitive juice today, so now it's, you know, I've upset both. Just saying. All right, uh, Reds in action today. We'll get back into that coming up here in just a moment. Um, but look, and, and by the way, that was a segment about Anthony Lynn and the, the Chargers. It got Bengals fans all upset. How? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I said that, hey, very, I, actually, I didn't even take a shot at the Bengals there. What I said was, is that well, they did. They made a mistake. They spent $160 million, ignored the offensive line. The offensive line is why Joe Burrow's getting beat up, and I'm going to be done talking about it in a second. I'm just trying to prove my point. That I was actually talking about the Chargers saying they needed to take notes from the Bengals. I actually respected the Bengals' decision to go all in with Joe Burrow because that's what you have to do. The Chargers are doing the opposite. The Chargers are doing everything they can not to play their rookie stars quarterback. And the Bengals are doing everything they can to at least give them some weapons to work with. That's all I said. They just ignored the offensive line. That was the mistake. And Mr. Matt Sturgeon got a little sensitive. He was upset with my post about uh, college basketball on Facebook last night. He said, I took a shot at UD. I did not take a shot at UD. Just because you don't like my opinion doesn't mean it's a shot at UD. It just means you don't like the facts that I use to form that opinion. That's the I'm not a big line. Facebook guy. Enlighten you need to me. me. Enlighten so me. So Mark Adams, uh, I love Mark Adams, by the way. He put out a post last night, the importance of getting enough games in to qualify for the NCAA tournament. I'm assuming that rule and that total amount of games is going to be adjusted due to COVID and the, and the difficulties in scheduling. Uh, Mark Adams tweeted out last night, Dear College Basketball, just get as close to 27 games as possible. Remember, local is good. Be flexible as things will change daily. Leverage every regional close game. He goes on to say, put egos on hold. Any game played is a good game for once focus on greater good versus selfish interest. Now, to be fair, I don't think this had anything to do with UD. I think this had to, if I, again, knowing Mark, I'm assuming this might have to do with the Wichita State, Kansas angle, but it's also a very similar angle to here locally, just not mm-hmm. as high of a level, uh, you know, as far as the, the two teams. So all I said was that a certain local team was not even capable of putting their ego aside for a charity game to support the Dayton community. And I know for a fact a certain team was approached by another certain local team to have that game, and that request was denied. So I said, I don't see that matchup happening. If they couldn't even make that matchup happen to support the community for charity, I don't think COVID would all of a sudden be a reason why a certain team here in the area would all of a sudden be up for playing that game. That's all I said, and that's not even a, that's not a shot. And if you got offended by that, that's fine, but that's actually what happened. So I don't know what else you want me to say as far as that's concerned. I'm not going to apologize for that. It's true. If the Oregon District charity was not enough of a reason to make that matchup happen, you're a fool if you think that all of a sudden COVID's going to be why these two teams play. They couldn't put egos aside for that, so why would they put it aside for this? That's all I said. And this guy didn't like it. So, no, that was not a shot. There you go. Okay. Can we move on? We good? No, you keep asking questions. No, because I'm curious about 
you know, that's no, I don't even want to do a talk about that later. I just really want those teams to play. You know. they, they should play. I didn't even mean to get into college basketball. This guy just brought it up. So, you know, that's taking a shot. I'm not offended. It's, it's not a shot, David. It's not a shot. That's a fact. That's what happened. And if that's a shot, then you, if you're offended by what the hell I said, then read what I said. Because what I said in there is true. It's true. That's not a shot. That What I said was true. So if you're mad about what I said that's true, pay attention to the true part of it. And direct your anger towards the source of the problem. That's all. The question I have for the team that doesn't want to play the other certain team. Easy. Is, don't take a shot. I'll just, it's just why not? I don't get it. I don't get why not. Especially in a time like this. Especially with everything that happened in the Oregon District when it was supposed to be for charity. Okay, you don't want to do it then. But now where finances are at an all-time low and you need to keep budgets in check if you can't drive five miles down the road or vice versa what's better than that like what's what's better than that and you're keeping it local i know that that's a alpha media thing us personally but mm-hmm. you know it's it it just makes sense you want to bring the community together you play that game i mean ohio state plays uc i mean <laughs> they play uc in basketball and football mm-hmm you they know. even played at Cincinnati. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not trying to get into the same old tired, boring, UD should play right state. But, again, it was it was a response to a tweet that I put on Facebook. And, you know, here's a, it could be true and still be a shot. No, it, it's huh? not a shot. That was not a shot. That was, that was a that true David thing. again? If, look, this city needed, it, there was two teams that had a charity game that had to come. I mean, Duquesne and West Virginia had a charity game for our city. Mm-hmm. Because the ego of teams couldn't get out of the way that's not a, like how was that a shot i'm point that's the truth well, i'm confused about it can be a shot in the truth at the same time i'm confused about that statement if he could explain that he said they don't care about right state and they don't care look this you're having an argument about the initial like should they play on a normal year i've heard every crybaby excuse as to why they shouldn't and I, i'm over that i don't even care i'm saying for this very reason though there's there's going to be a lot of regional matchups that need to happen to just get some games in right. uh the season that was already announced to start late november now you're going to need to get some non-conference games in it's going to be difficult to you know travel and to go play on the road and you don't have to really travel too far or at least set up you know set up shop in your own arena and welcome the other team in i I don't see what's the, what's so hard about that. I'm not trying to get into Look, I had no plans of getting into this heated discussion about this today, but these this stuff irritates me because these fans get so damn sensitive about that stuff when I, all I pointed out was facts. I know for a fact someone real close to that situation told me that one school was approached from the other about having that game for that certain event, that charity event. Now, I'm bringing that up, and I know it's a sensitive issue, so I'm like trying to avoid it as much as possible, but I'm having to go into it because my point was is that if that reason right there was not a good enough reason to make that matchup happen. I was, I'm was, i actually agreeing with these guys. It's not ever going to happen. It will never happen. If that reason right there was not good enough to allow this matchup to happen, it'll never happen. Like, it's that simple. Like, I, I mean, that's not a shot. That's a fact. If something so important to this city, if they couldn't come together to have that game to give back to the community after everything it went through during that stretch... And you had to have West Virginia and Duquesne come together to play a charity game because the two teams here wouldn't play. That's if 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 that reasoning right there couldn't get those two teams to play, this little COVID reason will not be a reason why that they will play. That's all I was saying. There's UC, Miami, and all other teams that are relevant. Okay, your point, David. I, I don't. 
your point. They're also not 10 minutes down the road when you're looking for all these close games that you're trying to put a non-conference schedule together. Really, the, the childish little reasons of, oh, we're, we don't need them. Actually, to be fair here, Kev, if UD is trying to get an at-large bid, they actually need Wright State more than Wright State needs them. Wright State, whether they play UD 10 times, one time, or no times, Wright State, their chances of making the tournament still come down to one weekend in in, uh, Indianapolis. True. Even if they beat UD, it doesn't matter. Beating UD doesn't put them in the tournament. Wright State technically doesn't need UD because Wright State, their whole season comes down to one weekend in Indianapolis. That's it. But UD desperately needs games at the non-conference, and I'm not saying beating Wright State puts them in the NCAA tournament, but they need to rack up as many wins as possible because the A-10 is not going to provide them with a strong enough resume to maybe get an at-large bid outside of the fact that they might find themselves in the same situation where it's going to come down to having to win the conference tournament, the A-10 tournament, which they haven't done in how long now? So, again, don't. I'm, I'm, these are not even shots. They're just It's the reality of it. And if anyone else was saying the same thing as me, it wouldn't be viewed as a shot. But because it's me, there you go. You know, it's very disheartening when that matchup can't happen because two years ago, I remember UD playing Detroit. Detroit and Wright State are in the same conference. So if you play Detroit, you can play Wright State. And also, Wright State is better than Detroit. That's why they didn't play Wright State. That's why they tried to beat up on Detroit. So that's my whole thing. Like, I don't get it. If 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 a one team is so above the other, then why are you even playing someone from their conference? And they're trying so, to say, like, so for instance, he goes, they don't care about rights, so they care about Detroit. What do you? What does that even mean? I I just don't get it, man. It, it's very disheartening. It's it's very sad that these two teams don't play each other. Cause let's let's be perfectly honest. All the student athletes, the basketball players, they know each other. They all go to the same pubs in town. They know each other. Trust me, basketball players could care less. The guys on the team could care less if they played play them. I don't understand the people behind the scenes pulling the strings about this whole thing, about not having them play basketball. It's a basketball game. Basketball games are intended to be played. Play the game. Yep, play the I game. agree. I agree. It's going to be very difficult to get you know a good amount of not. And by the way, the state of Ohio has so many teams for you to get a right. full non-conference schedule in. You wouldn't even have to leave state lines to put a full non-conference schedule together. Like I, obviously, I've never lived anywhere else <laughs> besides Ohio. But like, uh, you're 100 percent correct. Ohio has so many D1 basketball schools. You don't so like many. You don't need to go play in any little stupid we invitational. Could be our own Ohio Valley. Yeah. <laughs> Like for and again, for this season only, you don't need to leave state lines to put it on and to put a good one too. Right. And then look, this isn't even about UD. This is about Ohio State. This is about Cincinnati. It's about Xavier. They all need those bigger schools, like the three big dogs. Uh, you know, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Xavier. All right. They all need they they need to have that same mentality too. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to play. You know, Ohio State needs to welcome in Xavier. Yeah. All right. Uh, and again, we don't need really to be honest. What I love about Chris Holtman is that mofo don't care. He'll play anybody. I've talked to him on multiple occasions, on air and off air, about this very same thing. And he said if they can make it work with UD at some point in time, and again, he always kind of smirks when he says it, (laughs) so they'll make it work. But I promise you this, you know, they're not bending over backwards to make it happen. And then when UD fans get all upset about that, they feel disrespect, but they're, they're being treated the same way that they treat other schools. That's all. Why is it so hard to understand they don't want to do it? It's that simple. Okay. And 
I'm going to continue talking about it, whether you want me to or not. It's that simple. So yeah, we could play this game all day. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, so LeBron James was upset yes. that he didn't win MVP. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and again, I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but the WNBA has a Player of the Year and MVP. Is that right? That's that's weird. I thought I saw what I think Josh Cunningham, former Dayton Flyer. Speaking of the Flyers, Josh Cunningham. Um, Oh, real quick. I'm done. I'm going back to this. <laughs> UD doesn't want to play Xavier either. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's the dumb. UD won't go play at Xavier. They want to, of course, like you, they want to do everything at UD Arena, which, by the way, it's a beautiful arena. I wouldn't want to leave that place either. But it doesn't work that way. No, I'm done. I'm just done. I got to just, you know, stay in, I'm gonna stay in control here. We're going to go back to that. So either way, I found it interesting because uh, Josh Cunningham, again, was it? I forgot which player. Either way, the player of the year in the WNBA. No, it's just that's so. just the MVP. It's just the MVP. Yes, the MVP. But they called it player of the year in the headline, so I was confused. Are we player of the year MVP? Stick to one. Yeah, Either it's way. the same thing. So, Asia, Asia Wilson, she won MVP okay. of the WNBA. So yeah. our WNBA conversation's over as far as now. So with that being said, forget that again. I misread it yet earlier today, so we're done with that as far as that's concerned. But again, people were so upset that LeBron James was blatantly pissed off that he did not win the MVP. And it got me to thinking, I'm like, well, I don't know why that's bothering, oh, his, his ego, his ego, his ego, this. Do you realize, again, I'm not trying to do the MJ versus LeBron thing, but like MJ's ego is what people loved and drooled over about him, but the ego of LeBron is what people use to beat him up, and that just that, that's always weird to me. Literally, the whole premise of the MJ documentary was about, oh, man, that's fine, you could have that MVP, but I'm going to win the championship. Right. So why is it that, oh, man, did you see that MJ line in that documentary when he said, oh, because it's about Charles Barkley, the year Charles Barkley mm -hmm. won the MVP. He, MJ came out and said he was pissed that he didn't win the MVP. Why is it that, I mean, people just love to find crap about LeBron to, to, you know, to complain about is what I really think it comes down to. I had no problem with him voicing his frustration because, like I, I've said this for a long time, he's 17 years in the league, he should be MVP for 14 of those 17 years. Like, last year, I would not have voted him MVP for obvious reasons. For when he was injured, you know, he didn't have his best season. The team didn't have his best. He should have been MVP this year. Like, we keep doing this feel-good story. Like, Giannis will never win another MVP unless he takes another step forward, like being the guy. Like, But what we see this all the time. We see these new players that, that are just different than some of the – like, Steve Nash's play led to him getting back-to-back -back MVPs, and he had even better seasons after his back-to-back -back MVPs than he did during his MVPs, and he never won more MVPs because we get bored. Voters get bored. We vote for the new flashy new toy, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, he's not as flashy anymore. If you notice, after they got eliminated from the playoffs – we weren't all gung-ho about Giannis Antetokounmpo all of a sudden. Now we're kind of beating up on him saying, oh, I don't know, maybe we're talking about you know him going to join up elsewhere. You know, I, He's not even the guy in Milwaukee. He can't get it done. We always do that. Yes. Um, we did it with Steve Nash. We did it with Steph Curry. We're now doing it with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Don't be surprised within the next year or two, uh, two years, if all of a sudden we're doing that with, of course, uh, our guy Zion Williams. Like that's with the new toys. But really, as good as they are, we all know that LeBron, just like M MJ should have won it, how many years? What was the total amount of years he played in the league? Total, I want to say it was like 16. 16. I I'm so, not 100% sure, but I think it's 16. And we all know how great a rookie year he had, but he should have been MVP probably uh, all but two years, right? Not the Wizards years. We're not going to count the Wizards years. Oh, he played, it counts. But we're not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about his great years, though. But you know my point. My point is he should have been MVP pretty much every year as far as that's concerned. Same with LeBron. I have no problem. I kind of like that he's kind of come out and voiced that. He strives to be great. MJ strives to be great. And any players that aren't pissed off that they didn't win MVP, I'm not saying that they don't strive to be great, but it's like it doesn't 
doesn't strike a, 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 the same nerve as it does for some of those other guys. Okay, so where I'm at with it, I get it. I understand he should be upset. Any competitor should be upset. And whatever your motivation is to go out there and dominate and try to go win you a fourth championship, use it. Absolutely you should use it. This is If this is LeBron's motivation, if this is going to make him matter and make him play better basketball, I'm all for it. Go for it. Um, as far as the MVP thing, uh, no, Michael Jordan shouldn't have won that MVP that year Charles Barkley won it. Barkley had a better season than Michael Jordan that season. It's a regular season award. The Suns had the best regular se- best record in the NBA that season. Barkley uh, was uh, top three in scoring. Barkley was top three in rebounding. They had the best record in the NBA. The year that Utah, Carl uh, Malone won MVP. Carl Malone should have got MVP. He had a better season than Michael Jordan. Just because you have a better regular season doesn't necessarily mean you're a better basketball player. I'm not a person that says, like, all right, the best player on the planet should automatically get the MVP. Shaquille O'Neal was the best player on the planet, but Allen Iverson, that year, in that 82-game regular season, Allen Iverson had a better regular season than him. Allen Iverson led the league in scoring, in steals, in minutes, uh, was top 10 in assists. He did out. He was great. He was balling. He, he helped his team get to the NBA Finals. Won the first game against the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Ultimately, the Lakers and Shaq won the championship. So I just think that the regular season has been diluted so much. The regular season, not only by players, uh, shoot, by organizations. I mean, frankly, as much as I love Greg Popovich, him and the Spurs, with the rest or, you know, putting guys like Tim Duncan say he's taking a night off because he's old. And then you got now, you know, Kawhi with player uh, load management. There was times where LeBron took time off when he was uh, with the Cavs and everything like that. Guys taking time off. It, it was like the thing to do for a hot second. And then it was shunned upon. So guys are starting to play 82 games again. Um, it's del- The regular season is diluted. And, us as fans and us as media people, it is championship or bust. It doesn't matter. Anything you do, like, all right, you can have, like, basically you get a grace period of three to four years in the NBA. Or you can do your whole scoring thing. You can win your dunk contest. You can have fun at the NBA All-Star game. You can win the three-point shootout. You can win your little rookie of the year. You can win most improved player. All that's great. But once you get into the playoffs and once you lose a couple times, it is championship or bust no matter what happens. And I also believe that the fact that the season got cut in half basically with COVID to no one's fault of their own. The fact that Giannis is receiving his MVP award on his couch is a bad look. Just like the same way when Dirk won the MVP and they got knocked out in the first round from the Golden State Warriors with Baron Davis and Steven Jackson, he received his MVP award at the house. Like, it just looks bad. So, I'm I'm not into trying to make these guys feelings better by like all right as soon as the regular season over let's make sure they get their awards so just in case they lose it doesn't look bad you know do do give award give the awards away however you want and lebron james by all means if this is motivation for you please use it but i just personally believe that people need to understand that it is a regular regular season award it is not the best player gets the trophy every single year because there is times and there has been over years and years and years that the best player in the world has not gotten the MVP deal with it 
It's just how it has to go. Sorry. No. Nah. <laughs> so the best player automatically should just get the award all the time? When the best player plays like the best player, yes. And the LeBron was the best player this year. I mean, from from a scoring standpoint, from a passing standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, from a win standpoint, uh, I mean, again, but the thing that the voting was already made up before they right, got that's back what, into that's the bubble. That's my point. And right like, before that bubble ended, I think Milwaukee beat no, Lakers. Lakers, Lakers beat, beat Milwaukee. But okay. Lake, the, the, Milwaukee right. Milwaukee, uh, the Lakers beat, I want to say, they beat Milwaukee and I want to say they beat the Clippers. Yeah, they beat the Clippers and they beat Milwaukee in like three days of each other. Yeah. Like it was a Sunday and then like a Tuesday type of situation. They won and then the season got paused. And I think, I think, I honestly think that's a, the biggest thing here. It's the pausing of the season that makes it like stand out like a sore thumb. Now, whomever wins this NBA championship, they're the champs. There's no asterisks because everybody played by the same rules. But I will say that some teams did not adjust well to the bubble. To their own fault. There's nobody's fault but their own that they didn't adjust to the bubble. That's part of the game. Everybody was playing by the same rules. The Bucks didn't look the same. The Clippers didn't look the same. But that's y'all fault because we're all playing by the same rules. Guess what? The Lakers are balling. Guess what? Uh, shoot, we talked about this before. I thought it was totally unfair that Portland got basically a whole new starting five because <laughs> of the bubble. And like, oh, man, they're balling. Well, they just got a whole bunch of new players that weren't on the team during the regular season because they were hurt. Uh, we look at what's going on with the Nuggets. Yeah, they're down 0-2 now to the Lakers, but, you know, they used a lot of that time for Joker to rest up. He lost like 15, 20 pounds. Like, so people took advantage of the bubble, and other people didn't. And you know whose fault it is? It's your own fault. It's your own, it's your own fault, Clippers. It's your own fault, Bucks. So... For the teams that are still playing, that are still alive for the championship, go win it. Go win it. You want to prove them voters wrong? Go win it. Hoist up the trophy that really matters. And that's the Larry O'Brien trophy. That's the one that really matters because us fans have deemed the regular season irrelevant. The sports writers show have deemed the regular season irrelevant until it's voting time. So... You know what? Hey, LeBron, guess what? You're a Hall of Famer. You're one of the best basketball players of all time. Go get you another ring and rub it in, rub it in their face. He's about to. I'd head back to the, take his third team to the NBA Finals. Well, I found this interesting. I was looking at this today. Like, we talk about, like, MJ, and, you know, a lot of things had to happen. I mean, we went through multiple coaches. Finally, get Phil Jackson. It, was the, it wasn't just Phil Jackson. At that point, too, Scottie Pippen is an established star in the league at that point. And then, you know, get, add some key pieces there. And all his success came with one coach. LeBron's about to take his fifth different coach to an NBA Finals. He had Mike Brown, which was the first Finals appearance. Eric Spolstra with Miami, from you know, obviously with all the ones they went to. Uh, David Blatt, Ty Lue, and now obviously going to do it here uh, with the Lakers. You win a championship with a thir- three different teams. Best of all time. <laughs> you can say that. I'll, I'll reserve judgment until I usually don't call done. people stupid, but that's stupid <laughs> if you don't think that that makes him the greatest of all time. Championships with three different teams, taking five different. MJ couldn't win until he finally got the right coach, and LeBron. I don't just, know how LeBron's this, like. I don't know like how this turned into another LeBron MJ debate. Because I just, you, you I just know, like to remind you. You, you notice like that to remind you notice you. the Michael Jordan fan never. The Michael Jordan fan on the show never turns it into a, a, a LeBron debate. I I could care we, I could care less. 
I could care less because you know what? That's I'm the enjoy- problem. You need I'm to in- care because I'm enjoy- you know what's enjoy- going on. I'm enjoying their greatness right now. I have I have learned back in January when we lost Kobe Bryant that I spent 20 years hating Kobe Bryant and not appreciating his greatness on the basketball court. I will not do the same with uh, LeBron James. I will appreciate his greatness. I will appreciate everything he does to entertain me on the basketball court. I will appreciate everything LeBron James done. I will not be so bullheaded and despise him like I did with Kobe Bryant his entire career. I will not do that. I love LeBron James. I love watching LeBron James play basketball. You should. He's the greatest of all time. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kenner Show with Kevin Nash when we come back. Two, I found that interesting. And if you go back to, I mean, where's that money go? Like you know, when we talk mm-hmm. about like when you get fined and stuff, um, that is, you know, I go on to find out, you know, all the money that has been collected from the fines, it goes to programs for former players, um, and fine money does not go directly to the NFL. Um, and look, this, I'm not saying it's a, I mean, wearing masks is obviously important. That's how we preach it every day, obviously. But at the same time, um, I just, again, this goes back to the thing about like. In these work-type settings, you are playing a very physical sport. You are, it's a contact sport, and you are literally t- finding teams millions of dollars for this stuff. It drives me nuts because the the point is, is you're basically by players being out on the field. I'm not saying that they couldn't be positive, but you have gone through. How, I mean, basically, the players out on the field should not have the virus. Otherwise, they wouldn't be out on the field. So you're around a bunch of people who don't have the virus, so why are we making such a big deal about them wearing masks on the sideline? It's not like we're watching them walk around the city without a mask or anything like that. This stuff drives me nuts. I mean, it's becoming too much of the conversation from a week-to-week thing, uh, and players and coaches getting sick of it. But in the league's defense, the Players Association agreed to it. So it's like, you, you know, you know the rules, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it, I see both sides to it. I really do. I'm with it 100%. It's all about setting the tone and trying to get more people what tone? to the general population to wear a mask. I, I don't wear a mask because I saw John Gruden wearing it. And I don't That's not wear. You. I don't That's not wear. You. I don't like anyone does. No one says, "Man, my favorite offensive lineman wore a mask. I can't wait to wear mine tomorrow." People no, it's, a, it, it's about setting the tone and saying we're not too good to do this. We look at some of our government officials, elected officials, officials not wear masks, and people use that term to say, "Hey, so and so is not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask." So it, it goes back to, "Hey, we're gonna practice what we preach. If we're preaching, mask up." If you want a season, we got to have our coaches wearing a mask. You see uh, uh, tons of coaches out there wearing masks. Zach Taylor's wearing a mask. Mike Thomas is wearing a mask. I'd hide if I'm Zach Taylor. (laughs) Zach Taylor's wearing a mask. Thomas wearing a mask. Uh, Coaches are wearing masks. Some guys are just, I mean, I get it. You know, you're trying to, especially the guys calling plays like Gruden, you know, you got it on. You got it off, got it on, got it off to make the call. I mean, it, it it can be monotonous, but, you know, you're setting a tone because you said this. This was part of your pitch to get the league playing is, hey, mask up. So, hey, we're going to need that everybody. For them. Yeah, that was the fans. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, this was part of their pitch. This was part of their selling point to keep the season going, to get the season going. So we need to have all parties involved and on the same page. 
wear a mask. I mean, shoot. I saw uh, John Elway at the Steelers game uh, with the Broncos. He was up in the booth. He had a mask on. Hey, man, just put the mask on. And, hey, if you're out and about right now about to head into your local Walmart or wherever, put your mask on. I don't think wearing a mask in the grocery store has anything to do with 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 wearing in a football game. They're they're working. They're they're playing a football game, like. And then you'll have a player not wearing a mask standing right next to the coach. It's all stupid. It's all for optics. It's all just to give the illusion that we're all trying to protect you, but it's not protecting anybody. That's stupid. Wearing, I've heard uh, people a, say, "Person X is not wearing a mask, so I'm not wearing a mask." But if again, that has nothing to do with football. It has nothing to do with football. It is setting a tone. For what? They're not my home. parents. They're like Charles Brown. I'm not a role model. They're not my role models. But but I've just given you an example of people saying that person X is not wearing a mask, so I'm not wearing a mask. So if person X was wearing a mask when this whole thing started and wasn't reluctant to putting a mask on, maybe some people that follow person X would be wearing a mask today when they go out and about. And maybe we wouldn't have the spread of COVID as much as it is. Or it's a pandemic and it's not going anywhere anyways. Even if you locked us all in the house, it was still spread. I don't know. I just, this is the, I ain't talking about arguing. Yeah, go to the grocery store around a group of people. Absolutely. But on the field, where's my mask? Oh, well, forget. John Gruden <laughs> don't wear a mask. I ain't wearing a mask. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash as we close things out, getting you set for Reds baseball. Coming up next, don't go anywhere. Wear a mask. Or don't. <laughs> John Gruden doesn't. <laughs> I'm thinking of you. What kinder words could be more meaningful at a time like this? At First Florist and Greenhouses, we know everyone is coping the best they can. And when hugs are not possible, a kind word or gesture can bring comfort and a smile. So today, make that phone call or send a heartfelt note to someone you care about. And if you'd like to send a fresh bouquet of flowers, we can help with that. We're First Florist and Greenhouses at 1306 Troy Street in Dayton, a local family-owned business since 1905. And we're thinking of you. All right, everybody, welcome back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Ash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410, Wing AM. Reds are in action. We talked about it earlier on in the show. It's a big one. Take a look at the playoff standings right now. The Reds are in that seventh playoff spot, 28-27. The Phillies were trailing large earlier. I haven't. I don't have a score update on that. I'll look that up coming up here shortly. But the Reds and the Brewers, the Brewers at 26 and 27, are fighting to get their get themselves back in to the top eight teams in the playoff picture right now, and the Reds are trying to keep the Brewers buried. But, uh, I mean, you know, I don't think the NL Central is that strong, but at the end of the day, they could end up, depending if the Phillies keep strong, they could end up with three teams potentially in. That's not bad. That's not bad. The Cardinals might, I mean, you might get four. You might get the Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, and Brewers. I mean, that, that's pretty strong uh, as far as that's concerned. But the Reds and Brewers coming up later on tonight. One more time before we get back to the phone calls. Uh, you know, take a look. If the playoffs started today, the Reds would be a seven seed going up against the Cubs in the wild card. And uh, like I said, the Reds were an eight seed as of yesterday. That would have put uh, pitted them up against the Dodgers. We spoke earlier. I'm curious your thoughts. Reds fans, if you had to choose between the Dodgers and Cubs, who would you rather play in the first round of the MLB postseason? Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers are the better team between the Dodgers and Cubs. But to me, I think because the Reds, I believe, are intimidated by the Cubs. 
Uh, the Cubs are the big brother in that division that beat up on everybody. I don't think the Cubs are that much better than the Reds this season, but I do believe that the aura of the Cubs would present a problem. I think the Reds get in their head. I think the Cubs get in the Reds' head. I, I really do. I think they get in their head, man. They get in their head. I think that the Reds, I would prefer them to play the Dodgers, even though the Dodgers are the better team uh, between the Dodgers and Cubs. It's a, I know it's a little crazy, but to me, I just feel like I would feel more. I think the Reds would be more locked in on the Dodgers more so than the Cubs. But, man, can you imagine if the Reds did beat the Cubs in a postseason match? Yeah. That would be huge. We'll get to the lineups as we close things out coming up here in about five minutes. But let's get back to the phones, 457-9464. It's been a while since we've heard from this gentleman. He's been busy. We got Tennessee Jeff. OH. There we go. What do you got? I heard you got some breaking news for us. Yeah. Well. Hey, are you and Randy Wade friends now? Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, dude. I will never. Hey, let me tell you something. I'll never get on Twitter again. Let me tell you. You why. learned your lesson. You learned hey, it. You, I watched it. Tough, too many tough guys with fake names. But let me tell you. Hey, you know what though? All I said was the truth. All I said was the truth, Josh. That's not why I called it, but just to, just to nip that in the bud. Me and Randy Wade are just fine. Randy Wade and I had several conversations, and one of them on the telephone were, well, let me back up. At the shoe, when he had his, when he when we had the, the, the rally, when he was pointing at us, when he was saying, don't take the, he, I was just disappointed that, that I thought, you know, Sean Wade, his son was, you know, he said he was off and out, and, and Randy and I talked that night before and he said he's not going to come back regardless of what happens if there's a season so i was kind of ticked off so then i voiced my opinion on twitter which i'll never do again anyhow so that being said what is the number 31 mean to you guys 31 it's a fun card game <laughs> i don't know what, what's 31 tennessee jeff oh my god man 30 it's just it's just so phenomenal 31 days until we kick oh, off. Oh, well played, my friend. I was like, I'm not good with riddles, man. I hope that's... <laughs> 31 days. So here's my breaking news. Ohio State can be beat this year. Here's how we can be beat. Running First into Clemson all, in, the, in the playoff? No. Oh. Here's how Ohio State can be beat. If you score 60 points this season, <laughs> you can beat us. Here's why I was so upset about Sean Wade opting out. All that's water under the bridge, obviously, now because he's back. Because that takes away half the field. Let's start, and I'll hurry up as fast as I can. We are so good, you guys. Because I was, my biggest concern was at the running back spot, how healthy was Teague, and what's Trey Sermon look like? My God, Trey Sermon. Um, first of all, our O-line this could be the best O-line we have ever had as a collective group in our history. Uh, this is one pissed off, can I say that word, football team. They are on a mission. Uh, I'm back. What, what, you, what do they call him down in Clemson? Um, sunshine. What what? Yeah, Sunshine. They, they got, again, uh, our coach won't let these boys think ahead, but they got one team on their mind, obviously, down the road. Um this is the best team. As long as coronavirus cooperates and just stays away, this is one talented football team everywhere. Uh, they're going to score dozens and dozens and dozens of points every game. They're loaded everywhere. Sean Wade taking away half the field uh, with that phenomenal defensive front. 
I don't see anybody beat. They're, they're going to be three touchdown favorites in every game. Obviously, the only eight games they play. Well, I, I think that speaks. That. I think that speaks to how good Ohio State is. Yes, I agree with you a million percent. I'm not taking anything away from Ohio State, but uh, with as much as the Big Ten screwed around with Ohio State and jerked them around, I think they made it up to them by giving them uh, quite the easy <laughs> schedule. And people get offended when I say that, like, oh, the the Big Ten gave them an easy schedule. I mean, Ohio State is head and shoulders better than pretty much everyone in that conference. There really wasn't a schedule out there that you were going to say, oh, man, they're going to be tested. You still got your Penn State. You still got Michigan State and Michigan. You know, Michigan State's just not the traditional Michigan State team from the last decade. Nebraska hasn't lived up to the hype that was expected from them coming in, especially even when Frost took over. And you got Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana and Illinois as four of your eight games. Uh, you know, that, that game against that team up north at the end, it's always going to mean something. But uh, that's the one I'm circling, not just because of the significance of the rivalry, but because I think that's the team that, that worries me the most. And I'm not giving respect to Michigan. I'm just saying the rivalry game is what always worries me in that. So you never know. Nebraska working so daggone hard. By the way, you know, do you think they got punished? Like, I think the Big Ten knew Ohio State was going to give them pushback. But I don't think they were expecting Nebraska to be that little chihuahua in the corner yapping at them. I feel like they just gave them a, a, a rolled-up newspaper to the nose and said, you stay away. Like, I do believe the Big Ten said, screw you guys. And they gave them a brutal schedule, man. That's brutal. Yeah, with us to open up in yes. 31 days, October at, 24th. In Columbus. Now, no fans, but still. Yeah, I, it's going to be a great season. And, 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 and I, 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 you know what? Obviously, if we don't go eight, no, that that would stun me. I think you know, with with you know, with Hilton, is it Hilton or Tilton? Hilton up in uh, Ann Arbor as a as a tight end converted quarterback? I, I think we're going to slaughter them. And I think I think I don't think I know. I think Ryan Day will will get pedal to the metal all game, every game. He will try to beat people by sixty because. Of you got eight games, you got a you got a short show, and you got to show what you can do, in a, you know in a short amount of time, because who knows how many games will get uh, get will get axed because of this you know this this well, anyhow this virus. But I, I'm very excited. We have a very good looking football team, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I think we're gonna. I don't think we're losing. I even if I I, I don't I think we are the again if coronavirus cooperates and doesn't shut down anything. We win the national championship this year, period. Yeah, the, the biggest opponent for the next three months for Ohio State, you're right, it's coronavirus. the coronavirus. That's the biggest opponent. Uh, that's the, you know, I agree. The only thing that can stop them right now is that virus. But, hey, Tennessee Jeff, we're out of time, man. Great hearing from you. Go Bucks, baby. Adios. All right, as we close things out in 31, yes, 31 mm. days from Ohio State and Nebraska. Uh, for, again, we're going to be entertained by one quarter of football for eight weeks. <laughs> one drive a week, two drives at the most. I'll never forget last year, Florida Atlantic. I couldn't wait to go. I mean, again, it was still awesome. You're in the shoe, 110,000 people. Of course, it's great, but... You know, I was like, man, I could not wait. I couldn't sleep the night before. I was so excited to go to the game. I didn't care about who they were playing. But, man, we've talked about it before. The game's over by the end of the first quarter. Right. It was 28 nothing like that. 28 nothing. I was like, all right, well, I guess we're done here. So, anyways. All right, tonight, a big one for your Reds. Finally, meaningful baseball in September for your Cincinnati Reds. They are a game above 500 for the first time since May 14th, 2017. And uh, that's 1,000. 
226 days. It has been 1,226 days since your Cincinnati Reds were above 500 uh, any day outside of opening day. They've won on opening day multiple occasions, but of course they would go on losing streaks. And of course we all forget it. Forget the Reds are a game above 500. They are currently right now in the playoff picture. They're not just in the playoff picture, but they, they, the playoff started today. They are in, and it's been quite the drought. And we're excited about that. The Reds are playing. They've won eight of their last nine, and they look to make it nine of their last ten if they can get a win against the Brewers tonight. Here's your starting lineup for. Here's your lineup for the Reds tonight against the Brewers, 6-10, the pregame, 6-40. The first pitch, first pitch will be made by Sonny Gray, who is making his way off the injured list. We're excited to have Sonny Gray back out on the mound, and it's a big one tonight. Aristides Aquino, he'll lead things off at first to get the start of the left field. In right field, and batting second, we have Nick Castellanos. Batting third, and at first base, is Joey Votto. Eugenio Suarez finally went yard last night. He's in the cleanup spot. He'll get the start at third and bat fourth. At second base, batting fifth is Mike Moustakis. How about Tyler Stevenson, the DH tonight? He'll bat sixth. Batting seventh and in center field, Nick Senzel is back. I'm looking forward to watching what he can do as he has a week to kind of get in the groove of things before the Reds hopefully are playing in the postseason. He's batting seventh. Kyle Farmer at shortstop tonight, batting eighth and batting ninth. And behind the plate tonight is Kurt Casale. Kurt Casale went yard last night. Looking forward to seeing if he could build off of that tonight. Aquino, Castellanos, Votto, Suarez, Moustakis, Stevenson, Senzel, Farmer, Casale. You're one through nine tonight for your Cincinnati Reds. Sunny